They're evil. Sex times of evil. It's getting world famous. Lazar, what's up, dude? Welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thanks for having me, man. The legendary Mark McKenna. Welcome to the show. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Thanks, that's, guys. The, that's the best we can do, Mark. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> if you could draw anything for Big Two, man, what would your dream project be? I would love to draw She-Hulk right here on PSA Radio. All right, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Roundtable Show right here live on PSN Radio. And as always, I uh, am joined by my co-host, uh, Zod Ryder. Say hi, Zod. Hi. All right, that was uh, nice and clean. And, of course, my other co-host on the round table, Johnny Alpha. Johnny, say hi. Pip, pip, cheerio, mates. That's much better. And I'm, of course, the Jackal. We're uh, not joined by Cold Cuts, who, again, I think is, well, I think he's part of a Cuban sandwich. A Harold sandwich. Bread. I think uh, our good friend 2.0 has put cold cuts in the Harold sandwich and is now being digested in 2.0's end game of a, of a body movement. That's what I think. But anyway, moving on. He'll eventually show back up. I haven't been able to talk to him, by the way, in weeks. I'm getting a little worried. But with that said, yeah, that's right. A little movie came out. A uh, very tiny, independent movie came out this week. Yeah, uh, Highlander Endgame. Yeah, no. no why don't you close? There can only be one. There can only be one, yes. And uh, uh, it made like 350 bucks at the box office, this one movie. Yeah, you know, Adrian Paul, he's not the he's not the box office draw he used to be, I guess. No. Or he, no. I don't think actually I don't think he ever was a box office draw, but no. No, no. Well we'll get more to that. But a little small movie called uh Yeah, Avengers Endgame, which everybody seems to be talking about. I don't I don't get it. I just I, I don't understand. It's everybody's just going Google Gaga over this thing. So we're gonna talk about this movie. We're gonna dissect it, we're gonna have an essay by Zod Writer who's gonna talk a little bit uh, in length about the movie. And we're gonna all give our uh, thoughts. Of course at the end of the uh, second hour we're gonna go over the box office results for the weekend. And again, um let's just quote one of the characters in the movie. Hulk Smash Hail see, Hydra. I totally thought, see, I totally thought you were going to go with "That is America's ass," which is my personal favorite. Line. That no, is the best favorite. quote in the movie. I will say that. No, that no, is my America, favorite yes. quote in the movie was "Hail Hydra." Yeah, that was that yes. was such a clever thing because it was set up just like Winter Soldier. You felt like, oh, we're going to get to see, and uh, it just played so differently. But it was classic. Oh, and let's not forget. Let's not forget the 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 the, uh, the Captain America Martha moment. Oh, we can't forget that. That was so beautiful. Uh, yeah, that, was a, that was an homage to BVS, by the way. We'll get we'll, we'll get to all that. We'll, we'll get to all that, guys. We'll we'll get to all that. Don't don't let's not jump the gun. Now, of course, it is April twenty eighth, twenty nineteen. Just uh, let everybody know the date uh, here on the round table, and uh, we're going to jump into Endgame in a minute because really, uh, there's not much else to talk about uh, other than this movie. It's uh, set in global records and uh you know not shocking i will give a shout out to alex 2.0 who called the opening week and i gotta give him a shout out because he said this thing is open over 300 million i said a little bit closer to 200 maybe 250 
This thing, uh, again, opened up huge. So shout-outs to Alex 2.0 for calling this. And uh, he was on the money. So i got to give him his kudos words, too. But uh, we do have some other news that we're also going to go over. But let's start off with Endgame. I, I really want to see what Zod Rider brought to the table here. Because he said, Johnny, I don't know if you're aware of this, but he said he had an essay for this movie. Ready to go? See, I thought it was, like, talking like a Vato. I thought he had, like, an essay that was down with the movie. You know what I mean? I thought, like, no, no, I, th- I think he actually means he has an essay, really. Whoa. Yeah. Okay, well, Zod, the table's all yours. Okay, well, I, I, I wrote this, I wrote this essay after, after seeing, uh, some of the negative comments in regards to, um, Endgame. So, so this is, so this is primarily in regards to, to that. So I will read this and then I guess we'll go into all our thoughts and stuff in regards to the film. But, um, Ah, oh, this, this is where, this is where I, you know, this is what it is, you know, being on social media and stuff and you see all this stuff, it's just nuts. So here it is. In the year 2000, first time filmmaker Doug Aronowski was tasked with putting a bow on the first phase of the Highlander franchise with Endgame. This film was meant to be the culmination of everything that began with Highlander in 1986. Whoa, 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 whoa. Mm Mm-hmm. Excuse me? Um, We're talking about um, (laughs) Avengers. Just just humor me here. You know, you'll you'll see where I'm going in a moment. Okay, okay, okay. Er, culmination of everything that began it, with a culmination. Nice, okay, it's a culmination, guys. Culmination. Okay. Of, of everything that began with Highlander everything. in 1986 it, and concluded it, yes. with a six-season TV show. The film featured callbacks to major events uh-huh. in the illustrious film and television mythology. It provided the surviving characters moments to shine while also giving tortured anti-heroes redemption. This film is a personal story with universe-shattering implications. Fast forward 19 years to the Russo brothers' culmination to the 22 films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This version of Endgame serves the same purpose on paper as Doug Aronofsky's Endgame did in 2000. Put a bow on the franchise and prepare it for the next phase of its evolution. Give closure to as many loose ends as possible. Provide a lot of fan service. Fulfill the destinies of major characters while passing the torch to up-and-comers. Inject humor for the masses to ease the tension of the stakes while eventually bringing everything full circle to where it started. In the case of Avengers Endgame, the beginning is John Favreau's 2008 blockbuster Iron Man. Highlander Endgame and Avengers Endgame both successfully fulfill their cinematic obligations to the fickle fan bases that encompass them. It's not surprising to me to see the similarities in divisiveness that have plagued the aftermath of both of these franchise-topping motion pictures. Doug Aronofsky has not directed a major motion picture since Highlander Endgame, and the Russo brothers are being run out on a rail by an angry mob of disenfranchised MCU sycophants who believe they were forsaken. 
They disagree with many of the decisions the Russo brothers chose for this capper of 22 Cape films. When thinking about this further, I wanted to say not since director Zack Snyder's 2016 office, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Has there been, it is. There it there is. So, has there been so much divisiveness? I knew it. Johnny, I knew it. I knew this was coming. Now listen, uh, here we go. However, that would be incorrect because because Doug Aronofsky's Highlander Endgame shares the division, the same division with its Avengers counterpart in more than just subtitle. Both films serve the exact same purpose for their respective franchises. While I personally believe that these films did justice to their tasks at hand, the Russo brothers may very well be on their way to joining Doug Aronofsky and Zack Snyder in the whiny fanboys, you ruined everything, <laughs> director's club. While Highlander has a much smaller fan base than the MCU or DCEU, the franchise has never recovered from the you ruined everything mantra that self-entitled fanboys bestowed upon it. With bigger budgets means bigger expectations. And even if Avengers Endgame turns out to have the biggest box office haul of all time, that godforsaken, you-ruined-everything mantra could easily signify the death of the MCU as we know it. The Russo brothers have already stated that they have no plans to return to the MCU anytime soon. To some, that is a blessing. To those of us who enjoy quality cinema, it is sad and disappointing. If Avengers Endgame continues to follow its Endgame brother, Highlander, into fanboy wrath and arrogant blogger infamy, the next phase of the MCU could very well go the way of, well, the next phase of Highland, of the Highlander universe, Highlander the, Highlander the source. And we should all hope that that doesn't happen. What's likely to follow? I believe that with time, history is going to be kinder to the likes of Doug Aronofsky, Zack Snyder, and the Russo brothers, because when all is said and done, regardless of their different styles, aesthetics, and tones, they challenge their audiences to not just watch their movies, but to experience them. And with all that said, there's only one thing left to say. Release the Snyder Cut! Okay, I'm done. Sand Demas High School Football Rules. Yeah, man. Wow. It was very, it was very nice, very eloquent. I actually haven't come across anybody shitting on the movie, and I have a lot of really hardcore. I've seen a ton of stuff, man. I was bombarded by. I saw a ton of it. I even seen some uh, Marvel, some MCU fans saying, "I'm jumping ship to DC." This movie should have been more like Shazam. I've seen people say that shit. I'm just like, okay, cool. I'm done. This is crazy. Look, if you look on the internet, you're going to find criticism over everything. So not everybody's going to be happy with this movie or that movie or, or whatever. This movie's breaking box office records for a reason. Right? People are excited. They're hyped to see it. I, like Johnny, I haven't heard many negative things or from people. I mean, it's kind of good scores on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, man. Hardcore comic critics. I know. Look, I, I've talked to a couple of my buddies who hate the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and they love the last two uh, Avengers movies, and they love Endgame. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it might be a vocal minority that's been, you know, well, uh, I hope so, out but there, but I don't know. I don't know. Now, I will say this. This movie did have a little bit of that, uh, 
uh, political, uh, you know, PC, uh, new agey, uh, what's the word I'm thinking about here, uh, with, uh, progressiveness, social justice angle, this had like a little far, bit of that because, less, no, no, it, it was, it, it was because of, yeah, it was because of Captain Marvel, it had to get the whole stigma, and look, that made over a billion, this has made a billion in like a couple of days worldwide, so, uh, I don't think that hurt this. And I don't think moving forward this is going to hurt anything else. I think that's just or the a bunch Russo of brothers. yeah. And the fact that the Russo brothers look—they did two movies. Uh, Josh Whedon did the two movies, and now they did that's in the Avengers. Remember, the Russo brothers also did Captain America. Uh, exactly. So, so they're now three what movies in. So four, four, four movies. Fourth one they did. Yeah, Winter Soldier, Civil War, Infinity right. War, and now Endgame. At and some time, all four of them have been critical and um, financial powerhouses. Yeah, but at some so. point, as directors, you're going to want to move on. And not only that, we're seeing other uh, heroes come up with different directors having their take on it. What the Avengers does uh, that I love, the, what MCU has done here with these movies is they took the Avengers and said, okay. Um, Josh Whedon is going to, like, set up the Avengers, collectively get the storyline together from every movie that's come out so far from this phase, and uh, he's going to put the Avengers together. Then they gave him the sequel, he did the sequel. Then they brought in the Russo brothers to do three and four, and it switched up to their style, and they continued three and four. Now, it's only logical to give it to somebody else and let other directors, you know, have a crack at it. And I don't mind having different directors going and doing two Avengers movies and then switching out to a different director and have them to an Avengers. Because going forward, you're going to have, and spoiler alert, new people on the Avengers, new heroes, new takes, New visions, you know, and, and it keeps her fresh. It keeps her moving forward. It keeps the entire process of the actual filming of the movie different from the last couple of movies. Because one thing that we, you know, we all have to admit is when you have a series of films and they're all directed by the same guy or the same group of guys, the same two guys, eventually it gets a little stale. Because to them, to the directors, they're doing this thing over and over and over and over and it's the same process same characters, at some point, you know, they get tired, and in the movie itself or the franchise starts lacking that originality and that vision that they need. So I don't mind them, you know, saying, okay, we're done with MCU for now. Uh, maybe they'll come back, back in the future and give us an, an Adam Morlock movie or uh, or something else, you know, and they'll introduce a different character, and, and then that'll be, like, their personal uh, origin movie. You never know that, you know, the future is not written. I don't think they're leaving because of any fan backlash. If that was the case, then Captain Marvel would have been, you know, dead in the water. Because that oh, movie got creamed by the fans. And people were talking about it, you know, negatively from like months people ago. People are still talking about right. it. Right. And they still made a billion bucks. So whoever yeah. they bring in, and, and, you know, and now if you have anything against the Russos, anybody out there, was any issues with what they did? Well, guess what? It doesn't matter because the next Avengers films, which is probably going to be like two or three years down the road, that will probably have a whole new set of directors or a director, which, hey, either we like them or not. The one I think is going to take over as the next Avengers director is uh, the Thor Ragnarok director, um, with Tiki. Waliki? 
With yeah. Licky, ticky, 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 yeah. Taco. Well, if that happens, if that happens, I'm out 100%. Well, see, the thing with the Russos is it's not like they're backing out of comic books altogether right now. They're developing no. a bunch of stuff for Image. They did Deadly Class on Sci-Fi Channel, which is taking over. Like, it's actually launching a lot of people into indie comics. So, like, they're, they're still doing their good work. They're still kicking mad asses. They got a couple other shows that they're doing based off of Dark Horse and Image Comics for TV, which is what they're, what they came from. So, I think that, um, I think that they hit their stride. They have their fan base and they ha- have a certain, um, aesthetic that they're going to carry on right. further with whatever they attach themselves to. And if people can't get aboard with that, I don't think it really matters because, like I said, like the, the, the show that they did for Sci-Fi Channel really took off. It's gotten so many more people into reading Image Comics and stuff just off of the one season it's done. So these guys, I don't see that a couple yelly, probably Comic Gator guys bitching on Twitter and YouTube are really going to put the halts to the Russo's career anytime soon. No. Honestly. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. I think their, their future is pretty much... Uh you know, set to whatever they want to do. I mean, they're, they're creating their own narrative at this point. They've proven as directors that A, they can direct a good movie, B, they can work within the studio's, you know, logic of what they want to put together in a grand scale. Because we're talking about 20 plus movies in, and, you know, for them to tie all these characters together and weave everything together into one pretty damn good storyline because let me tell you guys well, that's why that's why i don't get the criticism because for the, me the critics are going to be doing that it's, it's dude, dude, you know. the only thing right now that, that seems to be critic proof and nobody's criticizing it is the cobra kai season one and two that's it that is like the perfect show <laughs> where everybody's loving it everybody's jacked into it it's you know it's epic tv and it's on youtube red so go figure but listen that's the only thing right now that people are like unanimously getting together and saying that's the best thing ever but end game you know this is a movie you can't satisfy everybody in a two or three hour you know movie and you always gonna have a critic or somebody who's bitching because it wasn't exactly what they thought or because uh spoiler alert you know iron man dies uh, spoiler alert, you know, uh, Captain America gets really old at the end and then, you know, passes on to Falcon, the Captain America shield. You know, people are upset at little stupid things like that. But exactly. moving forward, remember, this is a fictional movie and they really introduced time travel and it's not like we're not going to see these actors in these roles again. You know, forget that. Yeah. One, you're getting Spider-Man uh, 2. Uh, that's coming up soon, and, and they already said that's really going to be the end of this phase. Now, moving forward, you're going to probably end up seeing, um, you know, Iron Man come back at some point. I mean, I just, I don't think Tony Stark is dead, dead, dead. I think they'll find a way to bring him back. I think you're going to find a way to, to bring some of these characters back. Plus, well, if you yeah, turn Origin, they- you're going to be going back in time anyway, where they would still be alive before the snap. So you're still going to see them eventually. Ahead, and they did, old, they did the old man Steve Rogers character in the comics, right. and he got rejuvenated, then got turned old again, and then got turned young again. So I think that that's a way that, like, I think Evans maybe got a little gun shy at the end and said, like, uh, maybe I might want to come back. Right. So the, the whole old man Steve Rogers thing, it's actually something that they could actually pull from the pages of the mm-hmm. comic books and find a way to make him young again. It, 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 um, it's been done twice in the books already, so... Uh, that shouldn't really piss anybody off. I mean, they were just both in two really good but runs. But see, that's how, you, that's how you know that a lot of these people, 
are not comic book readers. They're just mass, you know, mass mass fans and they don't really they they go with marvel because it's the popular thing right. to love these movies they don't have anything really invested in these characters so they have their idea of what they think should happen or what these things should be that's why so many of these people were surprised by how dark infinity war was because they don't pay attention to the characters and don't understand that there's a history here that these writers and directors are pulling from so you mm-hmm. see, when and when you have that kind of symmetry between what they're doing and what and they're pulling things from all sorts of comic book storylines, not yep. just tying into one particular iteration. This is why I never got the hate for any particular director. Like you got to understand, they're not going to adapt one particular storyline. They're going to take cherry pick from all. I mean, you got to remember these comic books have existed. For decades, decades, yep. decades, decades. So you've got so much material you can pull from that really, if you're a comic book fan, you're almost in heaven because you can look at this stuff and say, oh my God, look at what they did here. Look at what they did here. That, you know, that, that Hail Hydra moment with Captain America was brilliant because mm-hmm. remember all the backlash that, that yep. Marvel yeah, got was, when, was... when they made, turned Captain America into a Hydra agent bullshit? That, mm-hmm. that, that was... could, it couldn't have been any better to throw that in there and to wink, wink over that stupid storyline. It's like they were acknowledging that storyline was stupid. We never should have did it, but here it is, Hail Hydra. And even the, even Captain America had a smirk in, on his face. That was my favorite part in the entire film because I understood that and I and it, I it resonated with me because I read those Captain America comic books. So it's kind of like you 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 know you kind you there's something in it for everybody, especially uh, a movie like this that has to has to tie up 22 films. I mean, come on. You know, yeah, you know, it's funny. Movie, oh, go ahead, Johnny. This movie in particular had so many winks and nods for comic book fans. I mean, like, they had uh, um, Cat picking up Thor's uh, hammer, which was in yep. the Avengers when I was a kid. was one of my favorite things. It's something I've wanted to see in film forever. And they they did what was in the old Avengers comic from when I was a kid, plus like 10,000 times more. It was such a just glorious, beautiful action sequence. And then they had the scene with all the girls all the girl heroes, like, posing together and then running in, that was straight off of a cover of A-Force from a couple of years ago. That was just a really well, beautiful shot that there was, like, a wink to fans that liked, you know, the A-Force book. And it, there was – the movie was full of stuff like that. There was the great Nick Spencer spoof, Hail Hydra line. That was classic. I mean, it was – this movie in particular really was kind of like, okay, we, we know that our franchise hasn't been the most comic book accurate, but here, here's a couple of visuals and a couple of things that I know most of you guys who are fans of the actual books and watch these films have wanted to see and go gaga over it. And, and I completely did. I'll admit like the, after they killed Thanos the first time, the movie kind of drugged for about 20 minutes, but basically when they did the time jump, I, I didn't even feel like I watched a three and a half hour long movie. I mean, it, it just went so fast. It was just so exciting. And the, the third act fight was probably the only one that I've seen that is as good or as close to as explosive as the one at the end of Shazam was. I mean, like, it was just so full of everything, especially it starts out with just Hulk. I mean, with, um, Thor, Cap, and Iron Man, like, just triple teaming, um, Thanos and getting wrecked and then just Boom! Everybody shows up right out of Avengers Assemble by Brian Bendis. And then, oh my fucking god, it just goes 
insane and it was beautiful. It was, it's, if you did not just get blown away by that fight, there is something wrong with you. You had giant man running around stomping on Thanos' little gremlin creatures and, oh dude, it was beautiful. I mean, it was just, oh, like I should have kitten. I'm not kidding. I literally should have kitten. It's funny that you mentioned Shazam because that's like the one movie everybody's mentioning that uh, you know, that everybody loved. And that sequence at the end, it couldn't be any, dip, you know, more different than what we had in Endgame, which was like loaded with CGI. And Shazam was like in a little like amusement park. And it was like very like claustrophobic kind of feeling, but it was still so epic, the battle, and especially like the last battle when they had like all the heroes assembled in Shazam was really cool. But it's funny, like the settings were like completely different, but I get you, Johnny. It was as badass of a battle as that, if not more, because of the amount of characters that they brought in together. I mean, it's ridiculous. You're talking about like an entire universe of, you know, of characters. I said to, uh, to one of my friends who saw the movie, um, you know, before I did, I said, the only thing that could be better in this movie, because I, they, you know, I know a little, a little bit about what's going to happen, but I said, the only thing that could possibly be better is if, if nobody's mentioned it, is, it's if there's a cameo by like Deadpool or Wolverine. That's the only way you could top everything. And unfortunately, spoiler, there's, you know, they're not in the movie, but, um, everything else, I mean, the, the storyline is fantastic. The way that Thanos, the character, comes together, it comes to an end, uh, especially early on in the movie, like the first, like, what, 20 minutes, gets his head cut off by, uh, by Fat Thor. I mean, that's epic. I mean, yeah, and, and just, and just another amazing, note yeah. on the, on the comic book end of it, that Fat, you know, uncaring thor comes directly from the ultimates version yeah. of yeah. the comic books so there's even comic book uh there's even comic book references for that as well yep. so it's it, the whole idea that oh that fat thor shouldn't have been there you know that that's terrible well no but, but again that's people who don't know the comics but they don't really read the stuff and and that's why they, they complain again right. that's that's right. a vocal minority because if you look at the amount of people that have gone out to watch this movie over the weekend um that's a whole lot of comic book fans that have got together and said you know this is what we want to watch and it doesn't just happen because you have random fans only watching it because a random fan is going to go watch it like it and they're going to move on but the diehards, the, the comic book readers, ones that are loving this movie, have watched it three, four, five times now. And it's only been out for four days. I've seen it three times myself. So, I mean, and it's one of these movies where it's about three hours long. You have to almost see it multiple times to just catch everything that's happening in this film. Because there's so much, you know, happening from one moment to the other. In fact, I was uh, joking with 2.0 guys, and, and this is really funny, before I even saw the movie, I made a, a reference to um, to Splinter from the Ninja Turtles. And I was like, wouldn't it be a cool cameo if the Ninja Turtles show up? And Splinter somehow is like the guy who saves the day at the end, and he unstaps everything. And uh, Alex is like, well, a rat does play a big part in this thing. And I thought he was joking, but a rat actually does play a big part in the movie. And it's, uh, again, spoilers, but it's uh, the scene where we have uh, um, Ant-Man uh, come out of the quantum realm, and it's because of a rodent, because of a little tiny rat. And I thought, when I saw it, I was like, damn you, Alex. But, it, I mean, it's a little, like, things like that, that when you're creating a movie and you're writing a script and you're writing a storyline, 
you know, the little details tell you what went into this thing. And the directors and the, and the writers were so on point with the little details that you got to applaud them. You know, and again, anybody who's being negative towards this movie, check that shit at the door because this is as good as it's going to get for these kind of comic book movies. I agree. Look, Shazam was awesome. Um, this movie is awesome, and you really can't compare them that much, even though there is some comparison in some of the elements. Uh, they're totally different movies in a lot of different ways, and they both work. You don't have to be, you know, you yeah, don't, you have, don't to have to hate one or the other. Yeah, you can like them both. I, I loved both movies. I also, I liked Captain Marvel. I didn't like it as yeah. much as Endgame or Shazam, but I, I, I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was a good movie. For, for example, I thought Black Panther was just an okay movie. People love that movie. So, I mean, it, look, all this stuff, again, is subjective to your taste and to what you want to see. But anybody who's bitching about, like, actual, like, things in this movie that deal with the comics, check that shit at the door because they did so much fan service for the comics, uh, for the, you know, the average fan, for the diehards who's been just following the MCU on film and are maybe not directly comic book fans. Um, I mean, there's a little bit for everybody to enjoy in this movie. There's great acting, there's, you know, drama, action, there's a little bit of everything. The beginning sequences with Hawkeye and his, and his family, I mean, oh, to that, me... that tore my heart up. That, bro, that was almost as bad as the first scene in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Bad. Like, I can't watch Guardians of the Galaxy 1 without crying at the first scene, but that Hawkeye scene, yeah. that hit me almost as hard. Like, I, that was about... That was the only part of the movie where I got really, really sad. But man, was that effective way to start the film? I was just like, "Ooh, man, that fucking hit hard." See, the one thing I, I loved about the what the Russo brothers have done since Captain America, you know, Civil War, and 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 everything that they've done so far with the Avengers and and Endgame, they've taken it. Yeah, these movies are spectacular space stories, and they have all these creatures from space and everything. But the human element. That they put in their storylines, like, the, you know, his family disappearing in front of him. He becomes Ronan because of that event. You know, he goes out and, and loses basically his mind. Not only that, it gives the character meaning, which after the first two Avengers movies, everybody's like, well, what's his purpose in this entire thing? Like, you know, nobody knew where the character arc was going. Well, this is where he was going. And he was great in the movie. The, the fact that he started off with his character in the very beginning, to me, was fitting because, you know, we've had a lack of character development, development with him, and we never got a solo movie to begin with. So to have him be, like, the, the catalyst in the very beginning and have that sequence kick everything off, that's brilliant writing. You could, you could start this off in many different ways, but the way the Russo brothers started off the story, set up the first act, the second act, and then the payoff at the end, I thought it was brilliant writing, brilliant storytelling, the editing is flawless. Um, with some minor, you know, minor nitpicks on maybe some of the CGI here and there, but the overall human element works perfectly. The storyline weaves everything in beautifully like you wanted to, and it pays off at the end. That's how I will say that. The end is one of the most, one of the most satisfying endings that I've seen in a comic book movie probably ever. Because when this is over, you're like, you feel like all the 20 plus movies that came before it had a, a proper ending. Like, it, there's no, at, at least for me as a fan, there was no point where I was like, eh, well, Captain America, you know, why they make him old Steve Rogers? No, because I know what, this is where it was going from the very beginning. 
He's he's meant to go back and end up with his first love. I mean, this is a storyline that started with Captain America, the first Avenger, right? And it ends in Avengers Endgame. So why wouldn't they, you know, go back and, and go full circle? It's perfect storytelling. I mean, this is storytelling 101. These are master directors and, and director peak. So anybody who's bitching about the directors, the writing, the, the storyline, the story arc, the way they weaved everything together, bite me because this is not a movie to bitch about. This movie to just sit there, enjoy, and, and just, you know, let yourself go for three hours. And believe me, it's not going to get any better than this for a long hey, time. Yeah. W- would you agree with me? And I'm saying it's kind of a bummer that the Russos didn't land um, directing the Star Wars trilogy. Could you imagine how that would have turned out? Because oh my God. Endgame, yeah. I was kind of thinking between Endgame and Infinity War, mm-hmm. I was just kind of like, how the hell do these Marvel movies turn out to be better Star Wars movies than the Star Wars movies? Well, that makes no sense. And I, I've been kind of thinking like, man, I, I love what they did with Marvel, but I also kind of feel robbed that these guys didn't do Star Wars too. Because I think, yeah, uh, I mean, I like the Star Wars movies that have come out, but I think if the Russos would have did it, oh my god, I, I, it would yeah. way more impressive. You know what I mean? Like, because the human element, like JJ and Ryan, like they they, they did what they thought was best, mm-hmm. but th- their their shit comes off more clown shoe and hammy and ham fisted. Whereas, um, I think if the Russos were to like handle characters like Finn and Poe, that it probably came around at least as intelligent and as cool as say like the Hulk did. Mm. And, and See, if the Russos, it, I agree 100 percent. But I think if the Russos would have been in charge of like Star Wars, you wouldn't see characters like Finn and Poe. First of all, um, you might see a Mary Sue typeish type of like Ray, um, but I think they would have grounded a little bit more to reality. Because remember, one thing about the original Star Wars trilogy is that it, it was in a galaxy far, far away, but it felt like you could live there, and it felt like it was a lived-in galaxy. It felt real. It had an aesthetic to it where, like, you know, it was a good blend of what they could afford in special effects, and and, and uh, back then it was all, you know, real effects. It was, like, real yeah. practical. Yeah, yeah it, was everything, it, was, everything was realistic. So it looked like a real thing, not, not like a CGI puppet for, you know, for like what it is today. So I, I think, you know, remember the Russos are, are great at dealing with CGI, but yeah, I think they would have blended in imperfect. I agree, you know, with the way they direct the human element, it would have been a completely different trilogy. Now, the main thing I think that's wrong with the Star Wars trilogy, is not so much what J.J. did, because J.J. I think did a nice job of reintroducing the brand. My thing is with, when you look at the original Star Wars trilogy, compared to what we're seeing now, is that they've changed the actual tone and style and the flow of each one of these movies. When you watch the original trilogy, there's, you know, they take their time with certain shots. Um, but now it's like super fast cut after super fast cut. The scenes are moving a lot quicker. So it goes away from the narrative, like, tone of the original trilogy. I think, if anything, the, the new movies harken back more to the prequels than to the original trilogy and the style they're, they're cut and, and paced. While they, they, you know, JJ tried to include all the practical effects and, you know, everything that made the originals great. I think one thing he failed at was, you know, keeping that same kind of flow and tone from the original trilogy. And that's one of the nitpicks I had with with The Force Awakens. Now, when you go with Ryan Johnson and what he did, um, 
that's the major, yeah, I think, that, misstep. That's a can of worms right yeah. there. <laughs> that's the major misstep because I, I, you know, he, he went a completely different direction. The major real mistake that the entire, um, Disney Lucasfilms brand did was they didn't have JJ just direct all three movies. And that would have been much better. I mean, wait three years between movies and have, you know, him take his time and direct properly, you know, each one of these films. You know, aside from the Russo brothers coming in and doing it themselves, that would have been a much better move. I like the fact that J.J. is doing the third one now, episode nine coming up in in December. Uh, But I would love to see the Russo brothers jumping in maybe eventually do episode ten. 11, 12, or maybe do a trilogy outside the, the Skywalker saga. But here's the thing. Um, you know, we, we're having the, the Rise of Skywalker coming out in December, right, guys? It's the name of the next movie. Skywalker saga, you know, the Rise of Skywalker. And they're already billing it as, this is the last of the episodes, right? Well, I've heard that before. They've said yeah. that several times with each trilogy. Oh, this is the last one. We're not doing it anymore. You don't make a movie called The Rise of Skywalker if you're not going to continue The Skywalkers. If, yeah, you're gonna, it, if this yeah. was going to be the last one, then it should be called The Last Jedi. You know what I mean? That's that's, it. That would have been yeah. a proper title for like an ending cap off of Right. Well, I mean, The Last Jedi came off as like an ending movie anyway. I mean, whatever right. drugs Ryan Johnson was on, he thought that he was concluding a trilogy rather than, you know, doing that's, a mid That's the big misstep. He thought he was doing part three instead of part two of a trilogy, and he gave us a fulfilling ending to one character, which would have been okay with Luke dying at the end if it was part, if it was the end of the trilogy. Not in the middle act. You don't want to do that. You don't want to kill Luke off in the middle act. That's a no-no. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, look, we can dissect that movie and, and spend two hours on it, so we're not going to do that. Um, but, again, I, I think, uh, yeah, I agree 100%. If the Russo brothers would have been involved in this trilogy of Star Wars, it would have been completely different. I would love to see their take. I would love to see them do an episode 10, 11, 12 and continue that series. Um, but I would love to see that maybe done in, like, five to ten years. Give that saga a rest for now. Um, you know, they're doing different things with Star Wars on, uh, on TV and other spinoffs that might come up in the future. Who the heck knows? Right now, it's all about, you know, the MCU and Endgame. And uh, Star Wars, we'll worry about that in December and see... Hopefully a good movie, because that's right now at this point, that's all I want. It's a good movie. I trust J.J. I think he was, you know, uh, he did a good enough job to start this trilogy. And I think he's, you know, really not going to let us down. I think he knows that Ryan, you know, messed up. He's not going to publicly say it, because he's, you know, he's working for Disney. And there's a good chance whether he might take over Kathleen Kennedy's job. I don't know. That's a possibility. Um, you see, he might be in charge of Lucasfilms one day. I mean, he's been that heavily involved with, you know, the whole process since George sold the company. And I'm saying George, but like I know him, but George Lucas since he sold to Disney. Uh, but he's been heavily involved in the back, you know, back scenes, you know, putting these things together. And even though most fans believe that they've never had an idea going forward storyline-wise, I think J.J. knew where he was going. I think he had a storyline arc idea for where the next two episodes were going to go. It was just Ryan came in and said, I'm doing whatever I want. And he was not in charge of the entire property. Kathleen Kennedy, I think, is one that really loves Ryan and said, you do whatever you want. You're the looper. 
we're not going to, you know, you know, say anything. You, you know, we love your vision. The script probably read a little bit different than the actual Last Jedi movie came off. That's another thing also. So maybe the script was a little bit tighter than what we actually got on film. That happens also when you have a good script that doesn't translate well. So I haven't read the script, so I don't know, you know, maybe that's the issue. Um, I heard the book is good for The Last Jedi, but again, it feels like it's the end of a trilogy, not the middle piece, and that's a major problem. So, again, J.J. has his work cut out for him, and uh, I wish him well, because it's going to be a tough process. Um, I hear good things, uh, but then again, we all heard that Ryan had knocked it out of the park, and look at how divisive that movie turned out. So, we'll, we'll see when December comes well. around. Yeah. Talking about um, DC Plus, um, this movie kind of left me in a weird spot with some of the TV shows that got coming up. Now I can kind of see how they might be able to bring Loki back to life for his show because remember that um, that one scene he escapes with the Tesseract and that right. one possible timeline. So I can see how he might be coming back, but Vision's still dead. Like, how is he going to have a show with Wanda? That's that that's weird. And also. The Black Widow movie. <laughs> How's that going to happen now? There isn't going to be a Black Widow movie. That was all just smoke, dude. No, oh, I think, really? I, I, I don't know. I think there's going to be... Look, they could send these movies back before the Avengers, you know, happened. Uh, before Endgame. And make it, you know, still something that is part oh, yeah, of the storyline. Unless so. it's, it takes place before, but you would think that it's onward and upward now. This next phase yeah, is going like to be... It's like making Solo after you kill Han Solo. You know what I mean? Like, why would you make a prequel movie when... It, it, it's kind of dumb, in my opinion. Like, if you already showed the characters' demise, why, why would you really want to watch a movie about them, about how cool they were when they were right, younger? The stakes don't, you're right, the stakes don't really exist because you already know the outcome. So it's kind of... I don't know. I, well, I it's not what Guardians of the Galaxy 3 essentially is going to be because, I mean, that was written before Endgame. Well, but Gamora's not going to be there, right? Gamora is... No, no, yes. Gamora's there, but she's the Gamora from the past that came through the Yeah, but the Gamora the from the past went back when Thanos got erased. There is no more Gamora. Gamora was part of that time stream. When that's, why I think, that's why I think Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is going to be kind of a prequel to Endgames instead of a sequel in the next phase. Remember, they're, they're, they're now putting together the next phase after the next Spider-Man movie, that's really the end of this phase of films. Um, so going forward, right. maybe... Spider-Man is really... Spider-Man is meant to be the capper to Endgame, but still, right. it's still connected. Whatever happens after that's going to all be part of the next thing. So you really... Yeah, Guardians 3 should should be about after... Uh, I, yeah. I'm, I got after. the feeling that it's going to be about Thor and them goofing around again. But that's not what was written by uh, James Pedophile Gunn. I mean, he wrote something completely different. Uh, he wrote a script that had nothing to do with Endgame. So. Yeah, I guess we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Remember, and guys, don't forget, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 was supposed to come out before Endgame. But because of the entire, uh, you know, nonsense that happened with, uh, Peter Lover, James Gunn. I'm sorry, I just had an issue with his 50,000 emails or tweets. Um, you know, 
I'm, I'm, yeah, for, yeah, for real. <laughs> I mean, I mean it, come on, one man. or two, it's a joke, it's okay, but 10,000, you know, that's, that's a little bit too much. Yeah, know, I think it was like 50, wasn't it something like, yeah. yeah. I think it was bigger than 10,000. It was a pretty high number, man. Like, yeah, so I mean, the prediction that's... That's all he did. Yeah, <laughs> like all day, oh, he said there was like making pedophile jokes. Like, who does that, a pedophile? That's... <laughs> Idiots. That's it. The only, the only stupid motherfucker who sit there and make pedophile jokes is other pedophiles. That's that's it. That's done. And after tell me ten years later, oh, I was only joking around. Okay, but some of these tweets are not jokes. They're like serious conversations with convicted pedophiles. That's the crazy part about it. But anyway, that's right. a whole different story. We're not going to get into that. Um, that, that's, uh, something Disney has to look into internally because, uh, they, they seem to cater to pedophiles on the left, guys. It's been happening more and more. I don't know, but, you know, I'm not trying to get political here, but, uh, let's just, uh, let's just say, uh, yeah. Let's say, let's just say it's getting a little weird. Uh, Joe Biden. Creepy Joe. Um, yeah, but. No, not getting political at all. No, 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 no. Groups of little girls. Anyway, moving on. Um, that now you got your essay out there. I, I like the connection with uh, with uh, Highlander. By the way, that was a good connection. I didn't see where you were going with that, so uh, you threw me off a little bit. Uh, but uh, again, the, this is a, a series that's twenty you know movies in. Not something that I think you know happens by coincidence. You know, I think this movie is as huge as it is because you have so many people invested, including the diehards, which are like Johnny and and everybody who loves to, you know, read the comics and who are invested and know, like, the lore. And uh, I think that's why this movie's making so much bank because if not, it wouldn't be making this kind of money. It really wouldn't. Exactly. Yeah. Now, yeah, um, sixty million dollars on a Thursday. That's, 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 that's unheard of. That's unheard of. Uh, you know, three hundred fifty million. Who opens up like that domestic? That's that's insane. Um, guys, we're gonna go on a, on a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're gonna have more roundtable, more discussions on Endgame, and uh, you know, maybe a couple other things we want to talk about. Uh, but really, this is the Endgame show because. Honestly, there's not really much to talk about. And, and when we get to the box office in the next hour, guys, uh, you're going to be shocked at how little money anything else made this weekend uh, compared to Endgame. Well, you know, you might not be shocked because this is probably going to be the biggest movie of the year. I mean, we, we, we can talk about that when we return. Um, if we think this will be bigger than Star Wars at the end of the year or, or Star Wars is going to be bigger, um, you know, right now... It's looking uh, one-sided, and uh, when we return, we'll get everybody's uh, input here on what we think is going to be the uh, the next uh, couple of months before Star Wars comes out in December. And uh, just sit back, relax. We'll be back at the round table with more Endgame talk and uh, more MCU DC. So stick around. Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's SupermanHomePage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. SupermanHomePage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. SupermanHomePage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com 
And now it's time for today's uplifting email. We try to get at least one email from our stacks of emails each day that feels uplifting, is positive, and is... I guess something that's going to make us all feel just a little bit better. And now with today's uplifting email... Here's Bud Dickman. Hey, Phil. This uplifting email of the day. Now, Bud, who's this coming from? Uh, it comes from Steve. Okay, this comes to us from Steve, so let's hear today's uplifting email. It says, Dear Phil, what's the name of that song that Margaret sang before she started doing Downtown? Phil said it was something by Anne Marie. Please let me know. I find it relaxing to masturbate to. So that's signed Steve. Give me that. What? Give me that thing. Turn it off. What's the name of that song that Margaret sang? All right, everybody, welcome back to the Roundtable Show. Here we go. And, uh, yeah, let's keep this going, man. I really like the vibe uh, where we're talking about Endgame. Of course, you know, the big movie of the weekend, $350 million box office um, domestically. You know, the out-of-here numbers uh, push it to a billion for the weekend, which is amazing. Uh, if you guys want to get in on the conversation, please do so. We're always welcoming your calls. Uh, guys, you know, let's just jump right back into it. Um, you know, moving forward now, uh, after Spider-Man, which I guess is going to be the culmination of the culmination of this phase, which is kind of weird to say, um, they haven't announced anything past that yet, right? We haven't seen any major announcements, because I'm assuming that the very first thing they're going to start working on is Fantastic Four, right? I'm not sure. I mean, it's weird because a couple of months before, I think maybe two months ago, they did this whole thing about announcing that Benedict Cumberbatch was going to be getting more money and be kind of seen as the new lead, um, like Tony Stark-type character of the MCU moving forward. So I'm thinking we might get a Doctor Strange 2 pretty soon. Okay. I'm hoping. And um, I think maybe they, they said that they're going to not do Avengers for a while, but I think that they could totally pull off a Champions movie and have Doctor Strange lead the Champions, which he did in the comic books, and have, like, the Hulk and Hawkeye or maybe some other characters that they bring in or introduce in kind of like Hawkeye or Black Widow-type characters in the Champions movies. And that, that could be dope. That'd be I don't nice know, Johnny. Johnny, your, 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 your thoughts on it sound amazing, but unfortunately what they're going to do is they're going to make Captain Marvel the focal point of the whole thing. It's all about Captain Marvel now, dude. The MCU as we know it is over. She is the the she is the end-all be-all, dude. The future is female. That's all, that's all it is, dude. You're I, not, not going to... I, 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 I enjoyed think, her film, so I'm okay I, I don't with that. Think, yeah, but see, my thing is I don't, it's like her as a leader, her leading, I just, I don't know. I think well, they could, if they could, they could do A-Force. They just introduced Pepper Potts' rescue in this movie. Like, they could maybe have her. Yeah, now that was good. That was a good And thing. then they got That's the, the Val, Valkyries back. She's the new queen of Asgard. She's yep. riding her Pegasus. They could do an A-Force movie with Captain Marvel. See, which now would that would work. With all okay. the girl characters. But that would be sick. I'd watch that. Scarlet Witch. All the, all the hotties, man, get, um, Get Black Panther's sister up in there, get, have her play Claws like she does in the comic. 
I, I'd watch that. I'd, I'd, well, I'd didn't like didn't Brie, um, aka Captain Marvel, recently said that she wants to see like an all female uh, assembled uh, Avengers type movie? Yep. There you go. She could do a force, which was yeah. a real comp, which was pretty fun. It was very, very um, ham-fisted with its message, but it's an all-girl comic, so you kind of get that with Marvel in the all-new, all-different era. So I don't, I didn't cry about it. You know what I mean? It was a fun comic. Yeah, I'd watch it. I love to see that also. Look, I didn't have any issues with with her. I, I didn't think she was a Mary Sue. Like they try to like portray her in, in in any way. It's not like Ray in Star Wars where she was completely immersed to. This is completely different. Surely he had her powers. We saw the origin before in game. Um it, it's not like she was just suddenly given these powers that we didn't know where she got them from and she was just suddenly, you know, strong and she could do all these No, we saw where it came from. We saw a progression of the character from her solo to this, so I'd love to see an A-Force movie. I think that would be epic. Yeah, A-Force would be cool. And like they, like I said, they did the perfect shot to establish that in in-game, like when like, they all posed, and like they're going to, um, yeah, that was that was epic, so that that kind of already set me in like a mindset that like if they did A-Force, I would be totally down, because it looks great in that one shot, why not? Yeah, so I mean, moving forward, well, remember, we have to have uh, Black Panther have a sequel, um, so that's coming. Doctor Strange doesn't have a sequel, so that should be coming. Um, Captain Marvel 2, 3, well, however many they want to do, that's going to that's happen. Captain Marvel. Yeah, they're gonna do. They'll probably do twelve Captain Marvel movies. Hey, one man. And yeah. hopefully, hopefully they'll keep the. Hopefully they'll keep the cat alive. Yeah. Well, the cat was Hemsworth. <laughs> Hemsworth. A lot of people have come out saying after this that they'll they're down to keep playing their characters as long as Marvel's happy with them. The ones that didn't get killed off. So I yeah. don't see why um they wouldn't like keep making movies for Thor because Willie Tiki or whatever his name is said that he would direct a fourth Thor movie and the girl that played Valkyrie and everybody involved in Thor Ragnarok said that they were down and I would totally watch that because I think Thor Ragnarok's probably one of the most entertaining films I've ever seen in my entire life so and it was the best one of the three Thor movies you know I liked uh, all three of them oh that, my yeah God. but it was so good wow you guys you guys I don't I don't know what to say I feel like I loved leaving it. the show because you just. Said <laughs> you told me on you told me on Twitter when we were arguing. You you never even seen the movie, so yeah, you can't well, even I like have comment now. on it. I have seen it, and it's garbage. You guys, I, I don't understand. How can you say that it's the best of the three Thor movies? Really, really? Yeah, it was, yeah. You watched it was a, Thor: it was The a Dark jo- World. It was a jo- it was a joke fest. Yes, I did watch Thor: The Dark World, and I thought Thor: The, Thor, the Dark World was better than. Uh, Ragnarok, but I like the first one the best. Yeah, but here's the thing, here's the thing. Chris Hemsworth plays off better with humor than without it. And the, the. That's the, just because of the way they wrote him. They wrote him like a buffoon. No, that's but, just, no, but, that's how but. They decided to I, do I understand that, but he works perfectly and the character works perfectly like that. And I, I look at, like I said, I, I, personally I loved Ragnarok. I thought it was the best of the three. But it's subjective. You know, if, if you go in already hating an idea, most likely you're gonna hate that movie. So the fact that you went in not liking what you heard already and not liking the director's style or that there was humor or maybe you didn't like that, you know, part for the character, you're gonna hate the movie regardless because you're going in on a negative. 
So even if the movie's great, chances are you're still going to hate it because that's an emotional, you know, commitment you already made in yourself. I didn't hate anything else that Thor was in. I just hated that movie. So. Because you already made that commitment mentally, you're going to go and hate the movie because you're already negative to what you heard. And, you know, we do that as human beings. You know, I've gone to movies where I've completely hated the process and hated a movie which other people are like, what are you doing? That's a great movie. And, for example, and I'll give you the best example of a movie you loved, Man of Steel. I hated that movie. Now, I went in, wanted to love that movie, but I was worried because of, like, you know, what I had seen. You know, we've talked about it uh, endless, countless of times. And, uh, you know, I ended up hating the movie. You loved it. It's all subjective. You know, you, you went in, into Ragnarok already. Maybe it was just some clouded judgment thinking the movie was going to suck or because of, you didn't like the director's style, you didn't like the humor or whatever it was. And then whatever it was you saw on the screen, you, you already like prejudged it. So you're going to hate it automatically. That happens. I mean, it's happened to me with movies. It, it happens in general. Now, there's movies that I've gone and totally wanted to love it, and I've totally loved it. Movies I've wanted to hate, seen it, totally hated it. And then again, I've, you know, watched it over later and been like, ah, it's not a bad movie. I, I misjudged it. You know, it's actually yeah. pretty good. Well, I mean, sometimes I go in thinking I'm going to completely despise the movie and end up coming out loving it. Like, yeah. Need for Speed's one of them. I used to give Cameron Jones such a hard time on, on Daryl's chat room about how excited he was for Need for Speed. And then when that damn movie came out, I was the only person on that entire chat room that actually enjoyed the fucking thing. I mean, like, it's, it's almost hilarious how some things like that happen, but... I think that, yeah, dude, you already had a predetermined thing. You had mm -hmm. been bashing the movie you hadn't seen for years with your yep. little Snyder Cut friends. So the fact that you supposedly finally watched it and still didn't like it really doesn't surprise me, brother. I'm sorry, but, like, I I got to agree with Jackal on this one. Because it's, it's, it's just a fun, stupid movie. It reminds me of the old it's Black a Gordon. stupid movie. movie. You're <laughs> right about that. I, I gotta agree with you. But right? it's fun. <laughs> it's well cut and the action's epic oh, yeah, in it. Just like Shazam is fun and well cut. Yes, and, well and, and, and Shazam was awesome. Oh yeah, Shazam is a wonderful movie. Shazam is another is. one that's just as bad as Thor Ragnarok. In what? fact, you, I go it's as, as good as Thor Ragnarok. Shazam's a little bit worse. How? Come on. I, I don't know. You guys are up. Have you ever read a Shazam comic book? Have you? Have yes. You? I've read Shazam my entire life, and Shazam is not like that in that movie. That movie sucked. Dude, they're telling yeah, you an origin. I've Superman several times in my life, and he's never been portrayed like Henry Cavill's pouty-ass in Man of Steel or BVS. See, so what, what's, go, what, what's going on here, guys? What, dude, what's he's happening here is... Hold on, what's going right. on? comics yeah that's that's superman no no that that's an elseworlds piece of toilet that's based off a video game that is a web series it's not even published on paper so like it's honestly like i'm talking about actual like action comics the paper bro here look this is what's happening we have zod writer who's judging a movie based on the comic books alone and he's saying no oh, it's not exactly like the comics so i hate this movie Remember, every movie is an adaptation. Every movie picks and chooses what it wants to, you know, portray from the comics while keeping it fresh. If not, it'll be the same shit that we read as kids over and over and over and over. This is, a, you know, Shazam was never meant to be an exact adaptation. If not, he'd be called Captain Marvel or Marvel or whatever, you know, early on. But they used Shazam as a name from the beginning because it's not an exact 
replica of what came in the comics. We have the lore of the comics for years and decades to read. Now we're getting a fresh take from a director who's given us an updated version. I think he did a great job of giving you enough little things from the characters from the comics. Plus, Shazam, you know, when he's grown up, he, remember, he's still the mind of, of a 15-year-old kid or 14-year-old yeah, kid. Yeah, that 15-year-old kid was smarter by himself than he was when he was Shazam. When he became no. Shazam, he became a... Because what would you do if you're a 14 year old kid and you all of a sudden now you have the body of a 30 year old who's huge and muscular and he's a superhero? You, the first thing, in fact, the first thing he did as Shazam in the movie, which I thought was brilliant, was he went to the store and he was like, I want to buy some beer. Because that's what a kid would do. Completely. That's, you know, they had shades of the movie Big with Tom Hanks. And a lot of people wrote about that and talked about that. But honestly, if I was in his shoes, that might be the first thing I would do. Because I remember as a kid, drinking beer was like, oh my god, we're going to get some beer, we're going to drink it. That's, oh, that's so good. You know, and, and it was a huge thing. When I became an adult, and now I haven't had an alcoholic beverage in 14 years. I don't drink anymore because it's not a big deal. But when you're a little kid and you get that first chance to drink some beer, or and you know nobody's going to question your adulthood. I mean, I, I mean that's what a kid would do. He acted the way a, a person in his position would act. So I mean, you have to put yourself in who's writing the script. Yeah, they're going to give you stuff in the comics, but they're going to give you stuff that's logical to the character in the way the character is behaving. And, and, and remember, remember, when you read something on a page, it's not always going to be translated exactly the same way onto the film. The film has two hours to narrate a character's development from birth to the end of the movie, which is two hours normally. The comics have decades to flesh out a character. So, I mean, where are you weaving and, and pulling, you know, the, the lore from that is so different? They did some different things in the movie, sure, but they're giving you a version of the character by the vision of the director and the writers within the studio mandate. And I thought it worked perfectly. I think it, it was serviceable to the character. I think the, the way he looked was, you know, right off the pages of DC. I mean, I thought the costume was perfect. I had an issue when I first saw the first images that came out because it looked a little bulky and weird. But when you see him walking around and flying and doing the, you know, the, the whole thing in the movie, it works. It works for what it is, and it looks like, you know, like the Superman comics or the Superman um, um, suit. Like, it has a kind of the same kind of texture feel to it from the new movies. So, I mean, it's very modern day looking compared to the other suits. Uh, again, the way he acts, is, it, it was, I thought it was proper. I didn't have any issues with it. Uh, the characters, Mark Strong was awesome as, as uh, the bad guy in this. Um, they even pulled from Smallville, for crying out loud. I mean, they pulled from so many different areas to kind of give you, like, little nods and Easter eggs. I mean, I I have no issues with with Shazam at all. And I'm the biggest critic for DC in the whole panel here. It's like this, man. You're not going to get a direct translation from the comic book unless you're watching the first Sin City or the second Sin City. Like, my favorite comic book movie of all time is Hellboy 2, The Golden Army. And as a huge Mike Mignola fan and a huge um, Guillermo del Toro fan, that movie has fuck all to do with any of the comics ever. Like, Hellboy never even 
fell in love with Liz Sherman. Actually, Abe and Liz were way closer than Hellboy ever was. Hellboy actually never really had a love interest in the comics. Um, the bad guy was really cool. He was something that could have been in a Hellboy comic, but never actually was. That was a, actually an, a folklore tale that right. Del Toro dug up himself mm-hmm. and put in the film. Um, all of the character designs don't look anything like Mike Mignola's. They're all Del Toro style right. villains. So, I mean, like, but it's still my favorite film. It's still one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen in my life. And Johnny, you know the funny, you know the funny, fanboy, you know the funny, that's a good job, you know the, you know what the funny part is though? The new Hellboy movie, the reboot that came out, supposedly is a lot closer to the comics. Everybody hates it. I loved it though. I mean, I don't like it as much. I, I will say the Del Toro movies are better. I yeah. enjoy them better. But the new Hellboy movie is actually really good. I think more people should actually go watch it for themselves, not listen to what the children on YouTube say, and actually just enjoy the film because much like Shazam and Thor Ragnarok, it's just a fast, wild, and fun film. I mean, it's it, it kicks mad asses. And well, this it's, is where, well, this is where I agree with you. I think that the Hellboy movie was good. I enjoyed the Hellboy movie. So, I, I mean, I, I don't have no argument with you there. But, but that's it, the thing. But yeah. you getting mad about Shazam. Shazam. I grew I love Shazam. That's one I, of my all time favorite I characters. Hellboy and, and, pulled, and they pulled the wor- they took the worst like the But Shazam was Shazam has always been a kind of a comical character to begin with, Zod. That's no, the thing. But that's not what I'm that's not what I'm complaining about, bro. You missed the point. You look when you watch, for, I gave an example of this on, on Twitter, because I got a lot of shit for the fact that I don't like this movie. But here's the thing. When you look at, when you look at, I Shazam, wonder why. I'll, I'll give you an example. <laughs> you watch, you watch, when you watch, for example, if you watch the, if you watch that animated series, Justice, Justice League Unlimited, look at how they did Shazam in Justice League Unlimited. Look at how they did Shazam in some of these other animated films that have come out. I mean, come on, man. They took Shazam from the probably the worst run of the new 52 and decided to use that version of the character. But I, no, I, haven't, I haven't seen that movie version, but ah, do they show his well, origin in that movie, or is it already Shazam? What do you mean? What are you talking about? The, the cartoon that you're yeah. in the cartoon that you're going the on and on about is it his is it his origin or is it in the, in the cartoon versions that they have they, there's one where they do the origin and then there's another one where they where they do uh where they have him at odds with the Justice League and then right. there's another but one. But he's already full blown Shazam in that and the other one. Well, now my one, my yeah, my point is, my point is though guys my point is though that's a certain artist's rendition of what the material is, and that's what they decided to do in the in the cartoon version. The cinematic version, the director had his own vision. Like it or hate it, this is what they chose to do. And I think it worked personally, and, and Johnny agrees, and a lot of people agree because the movie's doing really well. I think it's, I think they did a, a really good job introducing the character, first of all. That outside of us here, and maybe, you know, that, you know, a minority of fans, uh, might know Shazam, but it's not like we're saying Superman, Batman, or, 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 you know, Wolverine, or Deadpool. All right, all right, Bob, how about this? We it's not even like saying Deadpool, for saying, crying out loud. Oh, oh, uh, that's how, this is how a Superman movie should be. Superman should be like the Shazam movie. You see, that's the mentality that's screwing up these movies, bro. This Shazam movie is not... It, because this Shazam movie comes out and it's funny and goofy and stupid, 
it it's setting the tone, telling people that this is how these how all these movies should be. This is the reason why why you're, we're going to continue to get goofy, stupid movies like this because the Shazam character, for whatever you think of him, love him or hate it, he's not a stupid goofball character. He's a serious character. And he'll develop so into that, but this is one movie. This is going to be... The, yeah, but it's not the only movie inside. There's going to be part two and three and four and five. Billy Batson is a 14-year-old kid who lives up to being that hero. He strives to be better because he's seeing that, you know, now I have to try to live up to being this Adele. I don't have problems with the stupid stuff like, oh, you know, let me have some of your finest beer or whatever. I just have a problem with the fact that I don't feel like the character developed at all throughout the movie. But at the end of the movie, he was the same stupid character as he was at the beginning, especially at the end with that lunchroom scene when he came in the lunchroom and he acted all stupid and then Superman walked in. That was the that, dumbest That's why you hated it. Because yep. it had Superman and it wasn't Henry Cavill. It yep. wasn't Henry Pooh. All right, guys. Henry I'm out of here. Let's be honest. That, wow. That, that's he, the issue. He actually hung up. Did he really? Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's the first young around Seriously. Uh, let's, see, let's, let's get him back on the line here. There's no way he seriously hung up. Well, yeah, no, he's gone. Wow. Let's see, he, he he took the whole Henry Cavill thing a little too harsh. Damn. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, if he's listening, um. Wow. That is, that is some mature behavior right there. I, I gotta say, that really. Yeah. Is. Well, I mean, look. At the end of the day, we're, we're discussing a movie that. Um, you know, movies are subjective, and we, we've already established that. We were discussing a movie that we liked, he didn't like, but the facts that he's pointing out to make no sense, because I've read Shazam. Shazam has always had a goofiness to him. There's always been that goofier than Superman, Man, but even Superman has always been like the happy one in the DC universe. He's always been kind of like, that's why he's a, he's a blue boy scout. Yeah, he's he's supposed you to know. be a bastion, an icon of hope. You're supposed to look at him and believe that like this guy is here to save us, protect us, and be a good person. And in the um, Man of Steel movies, we kind of got a serial killer with the with the scary face. You know what I mean? Like, you, I don't get the what was good about that Superman at all, or why um, they should strive to make Shazam in that image because like. Would you really want to see a movie about a 14-year-old kid that snaps uh, Mark Strong's neck at the end of the film? You know what I mean? Like how? I mean, yeah, but, like the, the, but the movie had his darkness with you know with Mark Strong's character, and he had his lighthearted moments. It had his uh, dramatic moments with him and his, and his mom as a kid when he goes to when he finally meets his real mom. I mean, the movie was a nice blend of a little bit of everything. I think Zod missed that. I think maybe he went to the bathroom or some of the key scenes. I don't know. I have no idea. But, I mean, the movie was, I thought it was a nice blend of everything. And to be quite frank, I mean, it's neck and neck right now with Endgame. That's my favorite movie of the year. I'm not even kidding. I really like Shazam a lot. And, uh, you know, going forward, I think they DC has done something finally that pleases, I think, not only the, the masses, 
Uh, yes, they'll make it a billion dollars, but this is the first in a movie following, you know, a bunch of movies that have been questionable and two that have been really good, which is Aquaman and Wonder Woman, which have been good for DC. But again, it's, you know, it, it's a movie that's not really a character that's well known. It's following, you know, some bad stuff with the Justice League that happened, which, you know, going off of that, uh, anything that came after that was going to have, you know, some issues, you know, picking up the fan base. Uh, but I think it's going to do well enough. This is, this should do somewhere in the same range as like an Ant-Man, you know, did, you know, the very first one, somewhere around that, you know, box office total, which is fine. Maybe a little bit more globally, which is fine. It's the first piece well, of multiple movies. Somebody showed me something. I think it was almost at four hundred million, which is really good because it, it actually had a really, really small budget. So I, it was already being a, a profit. But yeah, uh, I think right after the second week it was out, they said that their the sequel was greenlit for it. So I, I'm pretty sure like Shazam is a go. And I think as the character progresses, we might get some darker and more serious films. I mean, like. People don't like to mention it because they perceive it as a bad movie, but Iron Man 2 was a really dark movie. It, was, it had some really dark themes to it, and mm-hmm. it wasn't really very funny like how most MCU movies are. Thor 2 was a really kind of dark movie. It, like, sure, it wasn't one of the best, but like, it really tried to be like a, a solid. And like, sure, like a lot of the Snyder fans are mad that DC seeing that like, hey. People like, you know, peppy kind of fun movies. We, we should maybe try to throw a little bit of that in a couple of bars. And I don't understand why that's a, that's a bad thing, because DC Comics are lighthearted. They're way yeah. more lighthearted than Marvel ever is. Like, I mean, you got to read, like, Batman and, like, one of the really dark Batman books to get something that's actually as brutal as the DC early DCEU films pretended to be, honestly. I mean, even if you go Batman, you go back to the original TV show, and that was a joke. I mean, the the Adam West show, that was, you know, it, that literally was a joke. And I know that I'm going to get probably some hate mail for that, uh, because Adam West is like golden and everybody loves him. But his version of Batman is literally the worst interpretation in the history of the character. That shits on every comic book that's ever come out. It's a complete disaster when you watch that original TV series. It's, an, you know, for its time, I understand that they had nothing better to, to be able to come up with because they didn't have CGI or special effects. But when you look at it now, it does not stand the test of time. It's a complete, you know, mess. The characters are laughable. Uh, the villains are, are, you know, laughable. I mean, they have sh- shark repellent spray for crying out loud in one of the episodes. I mean, it, it doesn't get, you know, goofier than that. And Zod Rider has a problem with Shazam? I mean, it's got, it's got a special place in my heart. It, 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 it's good fun, but it's definitely not, not really, you know what I mean? But I was, it, I was just it was fun. a comic book. Yeah, it, it, it was a fun little series, but it's nothing to be, you know, taken serious. Uh, none of this stuff really is to be taken that serious, to be honest. I mean, let's be realistic. We're talking about comic book movies, guys. You know, we're, not talking about, we're not talking about, like, uh, you know, Shawshank Redemption here. These are comic book films. These are not movies to get upset about and hang up uh, uh, on a show. These are comic book movies. And uh, movies are, you know, to the liking of the person viewing them. They're subjective to that person's taste. And, you know, if you get mad over that, yeah, well, you know, that's up to you. Uh, personally, I've never gotten mad enough to, like, hang up a call, but, uh, that's just me. 
you know, I'm, he's got thicker skin than that. Uh, you know, Zide was welcome to join back in. I don't know if he's listening or not, but, um, I, I'm shocked that he hung up to be honest over a disagreement. Over me teasing him about Henry Cavill not being in the movie. Right? I mean, like, I mean, I always make fun of Henry Cavill. I'm always going to. Yeah, unless he yeah. le- somehow magically learns how to act in the next couple of years. Well, we, we've gone down that road before. You know, I think we will agree to disagree. I, I think he's a good enough actor. I just think he's been in a, you know, bad movies, you know? I'm sorry, I, I'm not a Snyder fan. I know that may be one of the things because you know uh, that they maybe pushed uh, Zod over the edge here because he is one of the guys leading this, you know, this uh, movement on the Snyder cut. Which, again, if there is such a thing as just what he left behind before he left the project and Joss Whedon took over, which is what we've all, I've, at least what I've said, it's been there the entire time. Um, you know, nobody's going to spend millions of dollars in a movie and go in there and finish a movie that, you know, bombed the box office. And just, yeah, because, it makes I mean, no like, sense. The, the way I kind of see it is like, there's a lot of, like, green screen shots without fully rendered, cause like, that movie has so much green screen and so much CGI that, right. I think that, like, sure, a lot of the scenes are shot, but they haven't been rendered, like, the actual, 3D um, CGI backgrounds aren't there, and like you're, they're going to have to pay like a, a CG and um, effects house to go in and put all that in. You're talking about like at least twenty, fifty million dollars to do something like that on a movie that they've already lost money on. It's it's kind of unfair, and and the idea to think that a movie studio owes owes you something it's it's kind of ridiculous to me. I do. I think it's messed up that they mess with directors' visions, but it's not something that's new. It's not something that's going to change. This happened be, um, that there was a time in the late 70s, early 80s, when, like, yeah, dude, the powerhouse directors, there was studios like Universal, um, not United Artists, mm-hmm. that, yeah, they, they would throw money at these guys and let them go and make what they wanted, and it backfired really bad on, the, uh, on them in 79 and 81, the, the, like that stretch of years, and it completely destroyed that type of unit unless you want to go completely underground and make your film for no money whatsoever with the people that you can get to pay you for it. That's the only way you can actually make a movie with your vision. That's the way the studios work now. That sucks, but that's just the way it is. Well, and, here's the thing, Johnny, and, uh, you know, Steven Spielberg is considered one of the greatest directors of all times, right? By by many, many people. He's made a lot of shitty movies, let's be honest. No director gets every movie right. No director is flawless. No director has, you know, epic movie after, you know, they eventually drop the ball here and there. Um, Zack Snyder was given three shots. He fumbled every time. He was given three movies. And the critical and fan reaction were bad to all three movies. It failed to really connect with the mass audiences. And while it has its fan base, it is not a lot enough fan base to keep him in the in you know the that universe or even keep that universe going going forward. Now with that said, you know, we were led to believe that he left the movie uh, editing-wise because he had a death in the family. His daughter passed away. That actually happened. So, again, when the studio came in 
and they're the ones responsible for the failure of what happened in Justice League, or was it because, uh, you know, Zack Snyder actually left, and in a rush, they got a guy who wasn't prepared, and Joss Whedon maybe did, you know, some things differently, because, you know, he just was kind of like a last-minute add-on. Remember, he was working on, what, Batgirl? At the time, yeah, was, he was yeah. he was he was developing a Batgirl movie, and um, I think there there was another project that they were keeping hush hush that he was he was supposed to be working on, and like all that got dropped because of the bad reception to Justice League stuff. So, right, like it, it just led to more derailment of their universe. And we haven't seen much of Joss uh, Whedon ever since, which I don't think he wanted that to happen. I don't think he went in and said, you know what, I'm going to fuck up Justice League just to spite them, because I'm a Marvel guy, and, you know, this is going to hurt DC. No, I think he went in with honorable intentions to, you know, maybe make a good movie realistically, and to, you know, finish with, you know, Zack Snyder had, you know, continued, and uh, he injected his own thoughts, because, you know, when you're taking over any project as a director, producer, or whatever, and you're in charge of the project now, the studio says, right, this is what we want, make it happen, and inject whatever you want to inject in there also, you know, you're going to go in there, and especially on a, when you have a playground as big as DCU, you know, this is something that he went in, and he said, okay, this is what Zach had. You know, reshoots were already scheduled because they were, before Joss even went on board, there was going to be reshots and reshoots and scenes were going to be added on that were needed to be reshot. So this is something that was on the list already of things that had to happen before the movie was a final cut, right? So he went in and he took over that process. And whether he changed some things around, we know that there's stuff that he reshot. Um, a large portion of what he did, he, of course, as a director, <clears throat> he weaved the movie together the way he thought would flow the best. Whether that's good or bad, well, the movie has its fans and has its detractors. It's like everything else. It's subjective to those who like it and those who don't. I personally thought that Justice League was the best of the three Zack Snyder movies. Um, because it, it kind of went away from the, the complete darkness that the other two movies had. Because again, and this would have been the, the best thing they could have done. Made Men of Steel a little bit lighter. So you have, uh, the proper Superman. Then you make a Batman movie that is dark, like Batman should be. And then you make a Justice League movie, which adds, is like a yin and yang. You add the light and the dark, and then you introduce other characters. And the way Zack Snyder did it, he did it ass backwards. He tried to make everything dark. He turned, he turned a character who was a blue boy scout and Superman and turned him into like this dark, moody, emo character, which, by the way, did not work with Superman Returns. That was one of the main things people complained about. Oh, he's all moody, and he's always emo, and this and that. And then he literally did the same thing. Just it, now he throws punches and he hits people and he snaps necks. Yeah. That's it. That was a big deal. That's a big difference. I, I could have just gone with another uh, Brandon Roth movie. That was a big deal. You know, just they should have just done Brandon Roth's version of Superman because he didn't forward with that. There's no need to reboot it. All he, the big difference is he throws a couple of punches and, and he throws, uh, you know, Zod around and he fights now. That's, that was a big, you know, add on. There was really not, not a major difference in the two movies 
Aesthetically, they were both very dark. Tonally, they both paced very slow. You know, they tried to tell a story that made no sense at the end of the day. They had a Superman who was you know, not interactive for the most part. He was very kind of like moody and quiet. And even when he had dialogue, it felt very wooden and stale and stiff. And that and that's something that's plagued Superman on the big screen since Christopher Reeves left. That's why that took so long to come back to the big screen because it's not an easy character to crack, especially if you don't know how to treat that character. And unfortunately, Zack Snyder to you know the masses failed with Superman. I think he got a little closer in Batman vs Superman with the Batman character, and that's why people who are detracting Affleck so on for it, and I'm one of them. Who didn't like his casting at the end when the movie came out? They were like, you know, he was the best thing in the movie. His Batman was, yeah. It's actually kind of sad that we never actually got a solo Batfleck movie. I think that, like, given the right circumstances, that could have been actually really good. It could, it, it may be. You never know. Um, now we're not going to see it. And look, you know, DC is going towards giving now the characters their own spin, and they're, you know, they're making sure the character lives up to its own interpretation. That's why you got Wonder Woman the way she is. you got Shazam the way he is. Uh, I think moving forward, you're going to see a brand new Flash. They're going to move away from the Justice League Flash. And give yeah, Ezra's mo- out from he's what done. I heard. Like, yeah, he's done. Yeah, he's- so you're going to probably get a brand new Flash altogether, and that's a good thing. I don't think that's going to be a, a negative. You're going to get a new Cyborg somewhere in there. Um, so eventually you're going to see a Justice League type, you know, sequel or maybe reboot, uh, with, uh, you know, those new characters, including the, you know, Aquaman and Shazam and Wonder Woman that we have established already. But it's going to be something a little bit more cohesive going forward, where each individual character is really built the way the character is supposed to be built as a character. You're going to see the origins, you're going to see more of the storyline. One thing that I think that, uh, Zod, writer is kind of missing from Shazam is this is a first movie and what could be uh, you know a numerous amounts of sequels so you don't want to tell an entire story of decades worth of comic books within one film you have to let it flesh out to the sequels and it's not like back in you know in, in 77 when Star Wars came out and Lucas didn't have an idea that they was going to have a chance to make a sequel so he made a movie that was standalone with the possibility of a sequel now here is we're making movies now that we know are going to get sequels so it's it's yeah. a different world it's a different way of storytelling it's a different mentality i think it worked for Shazam I think it worked for Aquaman. I think it worked for Wonder Woman. I don't think the style that Zack Snyder was using worked for uh, Men of Steel or for uh, Justice League or even for um, Batman vs. Superman, which should never have happened the way it happened. That middle movie should never have come out. It should have been Superman, Batman, maybe Wonder Woman, and then a Justice League team of movie that would introduce Aquaman and Flash and a couple of the other characters and keep it moving forward like that. But I would have had at least the three main characters, uh, the three main superheroes, I would have their origins out there first before they moved into Justice League. That was the major misstep with DC. They wanted to rush shit out there. They wanted to compete with Avengers. They failed at that. Now look what Avengers has done. 20 plus movies in. And we get the Thanos storyline, we get the Infinity War, we get the Endgame, and it all feels like it's paying off beautifully, right? 
DC Which tried to cheat that. Be the top grossing film of all time now too. It's yeah. well on its way at least. Domestically and probably globally, easily. Think about that. I mean, there's yeah. a reason for that. I mean, people are not dumb. People, won't, you know, we went into that movie knowing um, what we we're going to get. I think for the most part, an Endgame, knowing that this is going to be a culmination of the entire 20-plus movies. And, uh, I, again, I was completely satisfied with the Endgame. I've been satisfied with Shazam. Uh, you know, this year has been a good year for comic yeah, book movies. It around, really has. All, all four I've seen, man. Like, starting with Captain Marvel, then Shazam, and Hellboy, and now this. I mean, all four of them have been really good, solid, fun flicks. I mean, sure, some are way better than others. Like, I, like I, I agree with you, like Shazam and um, Endgame are probably the better two, but I was quite blown away with Captain Marvel. I kind of expected it, like, I think we've covered this before, but I thought it was going to be one of the more mediocre, like, solo um, origin films, like, you know, kind of like Black Panther, the first Doctor Strange. Like, they're they're decent, they're good movies, but they're they're not, like, on that Iron Man 1, Ant-Man 1 level of, like, really cool, really engaging first solo films, but like Captain Marvel really hit the ground running, and I like the just the weird stylistic changes the movies had because it starts as like a space opera, and then mm-hmm. kind of goes into like you know like a '90s cop show for a little bit, and then yep. kind of goes spy a bit, and then it just explodes into like a total superhero um, space thing, and it, it was it was neat and every bit. The only thing I thought was a little lacking was the music choices for the soundtrack. I thought that they were a little too. Um, kitschy you know what i mean i would have liked somebody that went through the 80s and picked a little more random odd songs like how james gunn did with the guardians of the galaxy he didn't right. pick like the biggest songs from the 70s and stuff he picked weird ones but you knew them you know like you're like oh yeah i've heard that song on the radio but i don't know what the fuck it is like i wish they would have kind of did that with the captain marvel soundtrack but that's about my only really big nitpick with that plus I don't understand how anybody would ever trust Jude Law. I mean, even when he's a good guy in movies, he's always a schemy little shit. So, like, like if I was ever to, like, like work with him in a movie, I'd be like, okay, I already know I'm not supposed to trust you, guy. Like, I, I know that coming out of the gate. You're Jude Law. You don't get trusted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the only movie that I've seen him in that I, I completely loved this character and I trusted him was A.I., Speaking of Spielberg. Yeah, Gigolo Joe. Yeah, Gigolo Joe. What do you know? I mean, that, that he was awesome in that movie, but I'm, I'm just, I'm a fan of that movie. Which, he was a little, he was a little skeezy in that too. He was a fucking robot pimp that like sold robot coke or something, right? Something like that. Well, he was like a, a, he was a male robot prostitute. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. He was kind of, he was kind of a schemy guy even in that, even though he was like the one person that kind of looked out for the kid. Yeah. Still kind of like an artful dodger type motherfucker. I have a soft spot in my heart for AI, by the way. I, I, I really like that movie. And it's it's one of those movies that a lot of fans dislike for whatever reason. But, uh, it's the size of like a mofo. It's, yeah. It is a size of film. Uh, it is. But the end of that movie is so epic. With the future mechas. Oh, yeah. that was so good. The future mechas now uh, controlling everything and the way they look. The, I mean, the technology was mind-blowing at the very end. Um and and it's funny because you get to, I got into a couple arguments when we came out with friends. They were like, yeah, they weren't future mechas. They were aliens. And I'm like, no, you idiot. They were future mechas. They were literally the, the, the generations of, uh, of, you know, what came after the original mechas that were in, you know, in the, the, you know, the rest of the movie. Like this is picking up years and years and years after he was frozen in the ocean. So, I mean, this is, you know, the earth. 
in you know hundreds of years in the future. This is what yeah. is popular in the earth now, and I thought it was brilliant. I mean, the way that Spielberg put it together. Um, whether it was Stanley Kubrick's main idea or Spielberg, I have, I have no idea there, but I loved that ending. I thought it was just beautifully shot. Um, the idea behind it, I thought was really well done. And that's one of the few movies that Spielberg has done in the last 20 years that I could say that was nearly as, as perfect for me going in to see it. And I came out satisfied with it as any movie he's done. Because I, I went into the movie expecting it to be kind of like what it was. And I came out saying, that's almost exactly what I expected. And it was very satisfying. You know, like, that's, it doesn't, it doesn't happen like that all the time. He's made some movies like Ready Player One where I went in like Gun Ho. Wanted to love that movie. And I came out saying, well, the book was better and, I was, I was actually a little pleasantly surprised by that. I mean, I didn't hate it as bad as I thought I would, but mm. I still don't really like RPO. I, I thought that I really liked the Shining part, though. I thought that that was very clever and really well played out. I, that, yeah. that, that segment alone really kind of boosted the rest of the film up, even though a lot of it was just like, how did nobody ever think about driving backwards before? I mean, like, yeah. you guys never played video games? Like, you guys obviously play video games all day. How did you not try that already? <laughs> Well, that kind of like uh, reminds me of the whole uh, Haldoth, uh scene in uh, the Last Jedi, where uh, she drives the ship in hyperspace and destroys, you know, the the uh, the other uh, ships from the uh, um, what do you call it, the First Order, the New Order. No, First, First Order. Order. Yeah, First Order. She destroys all their ships at once. I mean, that, that was kind of like it reminded me of that. It's something that's never been done before. Then you see it, and you're like, well, that's kind of stupid. You're like. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and yeah, you guys should just have bonsai pilots. I mean, I worked for the Japanese in World War Two. <laughs> no, we, we talked about that before. Autopilot. Yeah. You don't need bonsai pilots. Like, that, I mean, moving forward, I mean, how do you like do any space battles now? That's a tactic you could use in Star Wars. I mean, that kind of like defeats the purpose of having a Star Wars where it's like ships shooting each other and, uh, I mean, Thank you, Ryan. You just you, you ruined the space battle of Star Wars <laughs> For forever. Real. Like, what's the purpose now? Like, just get a couple of ships, direct it right through the uh, the new Death Star, and we're good. Well, we should take about fifteen minutes, and we could call it a wrap. Like, but but yeah, know. I'd say like aside from AI, um, like the first Jurassic Park is probably like Spielberg's last really really good film, in my opinion. Oh, and um. Was Schindler's List before or after that? I think after, that, right? that was, I might have been before. Like, maybe that was like good. Before, and, yeah. Oh, and Munich. I always forget about Munich. Munich's, Munich's a hardcore movie. Munich's good, but, like, yeah, he, he has a couple, like, really solid films, but yeah, he's, hasn't been, he hasn't been, like, the guy that made Jaws for a long time. No, you know? no. Look, I thought Minority Report was going to be, like, the shit. When I first heard that he was making that, I was like, yo, this movie's going to be incredible. And then I saw Minority Report, and I was like, this movie is fucking retarded. It was, like, it was just a bad movie. Just bad all the way around. And that happened to him in a couple of movies. He just, he made bad movies, as far as I'm concerned. Now, yeah. I know people who love Minority Report and they think it's a, one of the best movies and love the TV show, even though that got canceled after one season. But, um, you know, it, again, all this stuff is subjective, guys. Nothing the to get TV angry. Show was, the TV show was awful. The, the main star chick, 
beautiful. I, I only kind of kept watching it for her. But, dude, like, they have Wilder Valderrama pretending to be a tough guy on there. And yeah. I, that's something I'm never going to accept in my life. Like, Fez trying to be, like, the cool tough guy cop with his lips still, like, I, I, I can't do it. I can't be like, okay, yeah, that's a bad that's a bad mofo there. Like, no, that's <laughs> Fez with his lips trying to pretend to be hot action cop. That's that's. It's not, it's not happening. I still can't tell, by the way, by his accent, where the hell he's from. Like, I, I have no idea. <laughs> he's from Spain. Yeah, he's, well, he's a dark Spain, I'm telling you. <laughs> they, don't, they don't have darkies and you know, like him in Spain. I, I should know my family is Spaniard. And, uh, yeah. And the Gallegos are all pretty light-skinned. And none of them have that little lisp. They, 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 I, don't, I don't know what's going on there, but... Uh, Fez uh, was a good character, and I don't think he's ever going to live that down. But I completely agree. That was one of the major. When I saw that the first episode, that he is introduced into the show, I was like, "Come on, really? Like, like <laughs> seriously?" <laughs> yeah, sure. He got a little buff. His arms look ripped, but like, it's Fez. Like, yeah, come on. <laughs> I'm not buying it. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> come on, I can kick his, I can beat this guy down. I can you know? Come on, really? He's the. He's the uh, come on. I kept waiting for Aston Kutcher to show up and give him a wedgie or something, man, honestly. <laughs> I mean, I thought I was being punked before Ashton even showed up. I was like, am I getting punked here? Like, what's going on? Like, seriously, like, really? Fez, a minority? I mean, I, I, mean, I know the, the dude from uh, Dawson's Creek on Fringe was cool, and that worked. But that was because Fringe was a good show, but, like, you know. And Naked's got some talent. I mean, like, before he was on Dawson's Creek, he was um, the Mighty Ducks, man. He was... Charlie, right? Charlie and the Mighty Ducks. He was the main kid. Like, Emilio Estevez was dating his mom. Emilio! Shout out to Emilio! Emilio. <laughs> yeah, man. But uh, yeah, like, and, and he's, Joshua Jackson's his name, right? Yeah, he's, yeah. he's a pretty good actor. Like, I honestly thought that he could have played Batman at some point, but, like, they've never looked at him seriously for some reason. But because it's just that he, kind of intensity to him. No, but the reason is because then you, get, you put a, a picture to picture, he looks a lot like George Clooney. And, uh, yeah, he does. He looks yeah. like a young ass George Clooney. Good, good no, call. <laughs> no, nobody wants to see that shit again, except for one guy in New York. He might. Uh, I agree. That. I'm Batman, the greatest line ever. Yes. What killed the dinosaurs? <laughs> the Ice Age. Oh man, I, I can't hate that movie just because just for Arnold, man. Like he he makes that movie just so entertaining for me. Like I could just watch Arnold be hammy anytime in anything. Like, I, 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 I watch Red Sonja all the time just to watch him be, chew the scenery and be hammy. So, like, yeah, like, that's the one reason I, I still like Batman and Robin. I won't call it a good movie, though. Like, I know <laughs> no, I, I understand. It's like one of those really horrible movies you just, you watch because it's so bad it's good. Yeah, you get lit and you, you just kick back and laugh your ass off at Arnie. You know what I mean? It's, it's good times. The, there is one scene in the movie which is so stupid that it cracks me up every time I see it. Is the uh, the Batman you know Visa card when he pulls out? He's like, <laughs> never leave the Batcave without it. I'm like, really? That's that's what we're doing now. Like, we're doing commercials within the movie for credit cards. That's what we're doing here. It's but the it, car, right? Yeah, it's, it's the, the car. car. <laughs> <laughs> this is why Superman works alone. Well, actually, he doesn't really, but yeah, yeah, we, we, we've known that for which that's another major, you know, fuck up in that movie. Yeah, let's talk about Superman and never really introduce him. Good job, guys. 
And it's funny. Yeah, were they were they, pl- they they were planning on actually crossing over the Joel Schumacher um, su- Batman with the um, Nicolas Cage Superman at one point, right? Well, isn't that a yeah. plan they were going to try to do? That would have been so. Awesome. Well, initially, <laughs> um, before Christopher Reeve um, had his injury, there was even talk about him doing a, a Batman movie with either Keaton or Kilmer, who had taken over the role at the time, and he was injured, and of course, you know, the rest is history. Yeah. And, uh, he could never be Superman again, unfortunately. Uh, but that was even an early on rumor, especially after Batman 89 and, uh, Batman Returns hit as big as they did. They were like, wait a second, you know, it'll be a great crossover if they do something like that. But then, of course, Keaton left and Kilmer came on board and, and then, you know, Christopher Reeve had his, uh, accident and, Everything just went downhill. But I would have not mind that scene, you know, especially, I think Joe Schumacher took the brunt of, like, you know, the abuse there because he was kind of, like, dictated to make a certain movie by the studios. And I think if he would have been left alone as a director, he might actually come out with a much better movie. Yeah. Um, I, I don't a, blame him for director. it. I mean, he's he's hit or miss. He's definitely made some garbage, but he's made some good films. I mean, yeah. like the first Flatliners was cool. Um, Lost Boys. Um, he wrote Car Wash, which was one of my all-time favorite soul cinema movies. Yeah. So I mean, like Joel Schumacher's got some good stuff in his catalog. It's just Phone Booth. Yeah. With Kiefer Sutherland was good. That was a good movie. And everybody just like looks at Batman and Robin and discounts everything he did. And like, that's not even his worst movie. Like, Saint Almost Fire is definitely his worst movie. Going back to Emilio! <laughs> that, 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 that's just so terrible though. And I had, yeah, like, but all dude, of those but dude, but dude, it too, so. but dude, it had Emilio in it. That's redemption and in itself. It had Emilio, it had Judd Nelson, it had Come Ron on. Lowe. I mean, I had like, everybody in it, but it was an awful film. <laughs> but, but the cast. Made you watch yeah. that movie. It's like Superman 4. Everybody's like, oh, that's the worst Superman movie. Yeah, but Christopher Reeve played Superman. Anything he's in, I'm going to watch, especially when he's Superman, because that is the person I grew up watching in that title role. And that's another thing that, you know, going forward, it's, you know, casting somebody who can step in those shoes. Are we still trying to find an actor who can properly step in the, the Christopher Reeve shoes? And everybody still gets compared to him as Superman. Even, uh, you know, Tom Welling on Smallville was compared to well, him. Well, he actually got the torch passed to him by Reeves himself on screen, which was, yeah. I thought, dope. That actually made me tear up. And I'm not even, like, really the hardcore Superman fan like you and Zod. And I was just like, damn, dude, that, that, that's, that's epic right there. Uh-huh. Not, was- not only that, there was, uh, and I remember this back in the day, and we're going to go into the box office results here in a minute, guys. But I remember this back in the day, in 04 or 03 around there, when, when they were doing the whole storyline, when they were going to introduce... Um, you know, Christopher Reeve into the show and into Smallville. He initially, after he did his first episode, he called WB and he said, if you're going to make another movie, that's your actor. Tom Welling, that's the guy. He endorsed him because he was like blown away by the way the show was, the way Tom came off as the character of Clark Kent. So he was fully on board with endorsing. Tom Welling, that became a huge backlash. That's one of the reasons I think we got Superman Returns the way it came out. Because at the end, it was like one of those movies where the studio was like, and Brian Singer was probably like, after all the negative backlash they received, they were like, whatever. You know, that when they were cutting the movie together, they just cut whatever they, they, 
they had and they didn't really worry about giving the audience the best possible movie because it was kind of one of those things where they everybody looked at it and they were like, yeah, this might be dead on arrival type of thing, you know. And uh, that's what it was. It was DOA from the moment they didn't cast Tom Willing in that movie. Which is sad for Brandon Roth because he's a decent enough actor and he could have had a better movie given a better director and script. And the poor Batman's had to fight his way back to even getting roles, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, that's the thing that I feel worse about that kid because like, he was given a golden opportunity and then he didn't even squander it. People squandered it for him, and then he had yep. to he had to struggle like a dog to get to back to even being on TV and stuff like he is now. I, I kind of really feel bad for Ralph for, for that because he I, I like him. I, I I've seen him talk plenty of times. He's a really cool, really funny, really goofy guy. You know what I mean? He's I don't See, know. He, I don't to, think he de- deserves to get the brunt of the attack of that for that movie like he got. And we compare him, in fact, we'll tie it back in together, we compare him to, like, Alden Eichenreich in the, the solo movie. Uh, the movie sucked, just like Superman Returns sucked. The actor, who some people like, some people don't like, it's very comparable to what happened with Brandon Routh, where they were literally piggybacking off another project that had already a set actor and look and feel and tone and then they were trying to switch it up or something completely different that didn't feel like that characterization which you're making a direct sequel or prequel to and that's where I think the fan base is kind of like bitter about and in both movies kind of mirror the mistakes that they made from choosing the directors, the storylines the actors they picked um, it just, it failed in every process and in, in every way. And that was my main argument with Superman Returns before that came out. When I had my discussion with Dan Harris was like, if you guys are going to make a movie that's directly a sequel to Superman 4 or Superman 2 or whatever, uh, with Christopher Reeve, you have to have an actor who can really convey that look, tone, feel, voice that Christopher Reeve had. If not, don't do it. Just give us an original take, let Brandon be his own Superman, and let him have in his own origin movie so fans can get to like him as Superman and not compare him to the previous guy who he's literally replacing. What they try to do and failed and they try to make Superman into James Bond, where any actor could just replace the last actor. And it doesn't work that way when you're doing a direct sequel or prequel. That's why it didn't work for Superman Returns, it didn't work for Solo, because these are movies that were direct prequels or sequels to what came before or after. And, oh, actually, in both cases was just what came before, really. And that's why it just didn't work. Alden, like Brandon, kind of sort of looks... Like Harrison Ford from an angle, but not really. He sounds nothing like him. And like Brandon from a certain angle, when he like smiles a certain way, or looks a certain way at the camera, kind of resembles Christopher Reeve, but he doesn't see it. Uh, he doesn't come off as well, Christopher he's Reeve. He's not as stocky. Like Christopher Reeve had um. His head was like they—they they have like a similar face, but they have way different shaped heads. And Christopher Reeves had big shoulders and stuff. Yeah, Brandon's a really lanky, like guy. You know what I mean? Like they, like they—they have a somewhat similar face, but they don't really like resemble each other too much. And if unless they rewrote the movie, I'm actually kind of happy Tom Welling wasn't in Superman Returns, because I think even if he was in there and he was acting his ass off, if it was still that movie, it probably still came out as toil as it as it was. Oh, no, the, if he would have 
been the movie, it wouldn't have been like Superman Returns. It would have been something completely different. It would have been a, a, a spin-off from Smallville, which actually was a major um, issue back in the day because Tom Welling had initially agreed when he signed out for the show that the show was going to be No Tights, No Flights until it springboarded into its own Superman movie series on the big screen, which was the initial idea of uh, Goff and Miller, the creators of Smallville, to have four or five seasons of Smallville and have that springboard into the movies. When they introduced Superman Returns with Brian Singer, they said, okay, whatever ideas you guys had, scrap them. Just keep on with the show because the show's a cash cow. And we won't, we won't have our kick in there too. We're going to have the movies and we're going to have the TV show. And fans are going to love both. It doesn't work out that way. You can't give a, a character like Superman two different faces, two different interpretations at the same time, because it confuses the audiences. And clearly they picked Tom Willing over Brendan Ralph, because Brendan Ralph never saw the last day of Superman again, and Tom Willing went to play the character for another six seasons. So, you know, one won over the other. One became the cash cow, the other one became the forgotten cow. Um, so it would have been two completely different projects. In fact, I think with Tom Welling, it was, uh, initially it was going to be called, um, Superman Flyover. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it might have been based on the J.J. Abrams script or, or, uh, or maybe a different director. I don't know, but I know J.J. was attached to it at one point. I think that's what it was going to be called. Um, and he had even at one point, uh, went in and tried to shoot on and everything. They did a, a whole you know, uh, casting thing with Tom Willing in the suit. So, I mean, they, that was the initial goal, was to get him in a Superman movie. Brian Singer is the one that kind of said, okay, that's not happening, we're doing this with the character, and we're going to go this direction. And uh, the same thing kind of happened, I think, with Solo, you know, where the, instead of following the narrative of what they had established, which, first of all, you should have never done a Solo movie to begin with. Yeah. But if you're going to do it, then you have to have an actor who fits the character, who looks exactly like a young Harrison Ford, sounds exactly like him, feels like the like the prequel version of that character, and that's completely where they dropped the ball. They got a guy, and the first thing they said was like, well, we want Alden to do his own thing with the character and just, you know, be his own Han Solo. That's not what this is. This is a direct yeah. prequel to a movie that has had one actor play this role in its entirety of the lifetime of the character, and it's not based on any other, you know, version before it. Even the comics are based on Harrison Ford's Harrison likeness. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, when you start, you know, getting actors who don't look like that, now you have to go in and change the comics, you have to change everything around. That's going to piss your fans off. Um, and, and you already had an actor out there who the fans wanted in the role, instead of looking at that actor that went completely the opposite direction, got an actor that nobody wanted in the role. So there's a lot of things that happened in that movie, which was directly similar to Superman Returns. And these are mistakes that these movies have made. And, you know, that's going to happen from time to time. Zack Snyder yeah. fell into that trap also. He made a movie that yeah. he wanted to make, but not the exact movie that the mass audiences and the diehard comic fans wanted to see done. And that's why and he I, failed. And I agree with Zod Ryder. Like, um, Zack Snyder was, um, was, was 
wrongfully picked and shoehorned by a Warner Brothers to do that. And like me and him, yeah. we had a talk the other week about that, and it's 100% true. And um, I don't think that he really deserves the brunt of the hate that he gets because a lot of the stuff that he did in BVS was kind of forced on him yeah from what i understand so like yeah he's 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 like a, a kind of a more sympathetic character like these guys that we're talking about too so yeah good point bringing him back up but anyway guys we're gonna uh go ahead now and move uh towards our top 10 results for the weekend and we're gonna call it a wrap here on the round table show which is uh it started off with three of us and now it's just the two of us just the two of us me and alpha yeah. Hey, 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 hey. Are we doing the Will Smith version or, like, the classic version of that song? No. We, we, come on, dude. Really? Classic. <laughs> come on. Don't hang up on me, too. Come on. I'll stop with the jokes. I swear. <laughs> I, I mean, don't, don't you hang up on us. I never hung up I on Zach. So. I ain't hanging up on nobody, man. Like, you, I, you, I've actually, like, gotten, like, beat down by both of you guys on the show and never hang up. So, yeah. Me too. We've all gotten the, the brunt of it and, and disagreed. I, like, it's a first for me. Dodd, we love you, but, uh, I, I don't know, man, to, to hang up on a show like that, that's because you don't agree. You know, that's, well. Whatever, moving on. And, uh, top ten, uh, this week we have, uh, let's see. Do we have a sound effect for this? Because normally I, I do play a sound effect. I don't even know where most of my sound effects are uh, anymore on this board. I have to like, really go through it. But, uh, that'll work. He was masturbating! Uh, Alright, guys, here we go. Let's uh, pull up the uh, website here. And uh, remember, this is uh, preliminary. It might change a little bit. Uh, these are like the... Uh, Early results that uh, we got a credit, of course, our, uh, my good friend, Daniel Gar- uh, Harris, uh, Garris, Daniel Garris from, uh, boxofficereport.com, uh, which uh, is where we pull up all these, uh, uh, you know, numbers from, and, uh, he's usually on point with, uh, the last final numbers, so check out boxofficereport.com. But coming in at number 10 this week is, uh, Disney's one of Easter's penguins. Huh? I haven't even heard of that. Wow. No, yeah, I mean, that's like one of the Disney movies that's not making any money right now. One of the few, because they're, they're all banking. Uh, so that's number 10 this weekend. Is that a, a new property? Let me see that. It's in the second week of release, so it's better than a cool million this week. It's uh, off to a decent start, I guess. Five million for a very low budget. Uh, it looks like it's a CGI animated type of nature movie. Uh, it's made by Disney Nature Buena Vista, so. Okay. Look, yeah, oh, it so. might be like a, one of them documentaries, is like, because they, they always make those weird documentaries about penguins every couple of years, so it might be one of those. Yeah, it's moving up. It was number 12 last week, it's number 10 this week, so. Slowing well. Um, we see number 9 this week, it was, uh, number 8 last week, the movie Us. Um, and it's, uh, picked up another 1.1 million at the box office. That's an incredible movie. Of course, by Jordan Peele and uh, with Lupita Nyong'o, and uh, that's already at 172 million uh, glo- uh, domestically, 249 worldwide on a 20 million dollar budget. That's incredible. For, another, uh, not another know. out of the ballpark hit for Jordan, man. Good for him. Yeah, I mean seriously, that that guy cannot miss at this moment. And he's making horror movies, and this is a guy known uh, for comedy. Yeah. 
So there you go. Well, it was one of the, my favorite comedians too. Key and Peele was such a good show. Even <laughs> though, let's be honest, it was nothing more than a uh, Chappelle show ripoff. <clears throat> I'm just saying. Just saying. I think I think their skits were funnier, especially when they were the two guys that parked the car and they talk about action movies. Yo, racist ass Melly Gibson, that's my <laughs> shit, dog. I love those skits, man. That was and I, it was a good show, it definitely was. Yeah. Um, and let's see, number eight this week, Pet Cemetery is still in the uh, top ten. It uh, was number seven last week for Paramount, one point two million. It's on its fourth week of release. Pet Cemetery so far has brought in 52 million domestically, over 102 million worldwide on a 21 million dollar budget. That's a profitable movie, guys. So, will they make a Pet Cemetery 2? Maybe. It was originally done. I mean, Jason Clark needs a hit. Probably get. They'll probably get um, Finn Wolfhard to play Eric Furlong's character in the sequel. I could they, see they get that, that kid for everything. Yeah, they, they yeah he's, a, to play. he's the go-to kid now after Stranger yeah. Things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, every decade has that one guy, that one kid. Yeah. Uh, let's see, number seven this week, uh, and this is actually down from number six last week. Uh, again, another Disney Bonavista movie with uh, $3.2 million on its fifth week of release, Dumbo. That's right, oh, Dumbo. God. Uh, 107 million domestically, total 327 globally, on a 170 million dollar budget. It needs to hit 400 million to be profitable. Uh, 327 um, might not get there. Just saying, it uh, might not get there. So this might be the the first real major flop of the uh, Disney. I just, live from version. what I saw that. What I saw in that Aladdin trailer, that looks like toilet too. That, that might be an ongoing trend for yeah. the live action Disney animated things because they're not looking better as they keep going forward. So I think they should have just did Jungle Book and kind of like left it there. Personally, I am looking forward to Lion King though. I, I still, I am a fan of the cartoon. I think it was a great animated cartoon. I, I want to see what they do with that. Um, but yeah, I agree. At the Jungle Book, it's like, well, you don't have to do all your cartoons on Disney. I mean, just because one worked doesn't mean that you have to like pull up everything. But then again, Beauty and the Beast made money, so what do I know? That yeah, was awful too. I mean, like Dumbo's the worst one I've seen so far, though. But that trailer for Aladdin looked—I mean, like the sets look like TV sets, man. It looked yeah, awful. Look cheap. And Will Smith is in that. You know, he's not. He's no he was the only a, thing in the guy. trailer that didn't look. He was the only thing in the trailer that didn't look completely awful, though, which is sad because I'm just like looking at a big dumb blue Will Smith, and I'm like, yeah. wow, he's actually not the lamest thing in this trailer. That's surprising. Yeah. <laughs> well, that one coming. <laughs> yeah, but he's still pretty lame. Let me see number six this week, and uh, dropping from number five, it's a little movie for Universal called Little. And it's brought in 3.4 million on its third week of release. Little stars Tina Gordon, uh, well, that's the writer and director Tina Gordon, uh, Chisholm. It stars Regina Hall and, uh, let's see, Marcy Martin, Issa Rae, uh, actresses, which I really don't know. And, uh, I'm not trying to be funny, I just don't know who they are. Uh, it's a $20 million, uh, I don't know Regina Hall, I know who she is. Uh, but let's see, the movie, um, Domestic total is $35 million so far on a $20 million budget. Worldwide, it's $42 million. So it, it's turning a profit. So it's a nice little indie movie that's doing well enough. And uh, 
Hopefully there's no sequels. I mean, I've never seen it, but we don't need sequels to everything. You know, just move yeah. on. Uh, little but, too getting bigger. I yeah. Mean, what, 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 you know what I mean? What are they going to call it? Little <laughs> bit bigger. That's, that's, you know, <laughs> this, <laughs> little bit bigger. Yes. <laughs> little smaller. You know. Yeah. Little, know. You know, little yeah. sisters, little brothers, you know. Little siblings. I don't know. What are you going to call the next one? I don't know. Don't care. Number five this week, uh, jumping in from number two last week, a movie, a movie we were gloating about earlier and, uh, we loved our, uh, partner here, uh, Zod Rider didn't like as much or at all, I guess. Shazam. Uh, it's still in the top five, uh, number five this week with 5.5 million. Um, it's on its fourth week of release. And again, Shazam, uh, I guess it's divisive. But it's brought in 131 million domestically so far. It's going to end up somewhere between the 160, 180 range, which for this origin movie, it's perfect. And that's domestically. Uh, worldwide is at 346 already on a $100 million budget. This movie's crossed that path where it's already a profitable movie. After 200 million worldwide, it was profitable. So it's already in the profit zone by a lot. And, um, they already greened the sequel. So it's coming whether you like this one or not. You know, watch the next one or not, but it's going to happen. Um, I liked it. Zachary Levi, uh, he lived up to the character, and, uh, you know, I didn't think he was going to be as good as he was. After I watched the movie, now I'm a fan. I wasn't a huge was fan of this, but... The, I was surprised by the kid actors. I thought they all performed very well, yep. which is odd for children actors. Usually they're terrible, but I, even, the, even like the little nerdy black girl, I thought she was adorable. Like, usually that kind of character is annoying in films like yep. that, but she she had me rolling every time she was on screen. She cracked me up. I liked all the kids, so yeah, the, that's, the, that's pretty rare for a kid movie. Yeah, the kids, I thought worked great also. I mean, Mark Strong was great, and, and I had reservations about Mark Strong, especially after, uh, you know, his turn in the Green Lantern movie. I was like, really? Do we, do we really want to bring him back as a bad guy in another DC movie? But you know what? In this one, he was good. His character was very Lex-like from Smallville, by the way. Like I said earlier, they, they pulled some st- some things out of Smallville. As a nod, we had Lionel Luther-type character for his dad in uh, the scene, uh, the boardroom, where you see his dad and him interact. Very similar to what we saw in Smallville. Um, they even get people thrown out a window, like the way Lionel Luther dies, gets thrown out a window at Smallville. So there was kind of like, you know, like that moment where I was like, yeah, will he throw him out the window? Come on. Come on, throw him out the window. Uh, but Shazam, uh, 131 million. I'm satisfied with that, and it's gonna continue to climb. Uh, so that's number five. Number four this week, Breakthrough for Fox, and I guess, uh, Disney, because they own Fox now, so Disney. Yeah. Same thing. Uh, breakthrough was number three last week. It brought in 6.3 million this week on its second week of release. And that's, uh, I don't know the budget on this thing, but, uh, Topher Grace is in it. So he's acting again. Cool. I, yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's pretty good. I like him in most things. I, I think that he was bad casting for Spider-Man 3, but I really liked him in stuff like American Ultra and Predators yeah. and stuff. He, he's a really funny little bastard, so I, I usually enjoy when he pops up and stuff. Hey, I'll admit it. I was a fan of that 70s show. I want to see Topher do more things. He's a good actor. I like him as an actor, and like you said, he was just miscast in a, in a movie that should have never had Venom in it to begin with. Uh, Sam Raimi was not a fan of the character, didn't know the character. He was shoehorned in there by Sony. 
he should have never been part of that, you know, movie franchise to begin with. And it's not his fault. Like, he is an, an actor. And actually, he was good enough considering that they gave him nothing to do. Basically, they gave him really a shitty part for Venom. And he tried his... I think he did his best with a bad role. And, yeah. you know, that's the best you can ask of any actor. So, I think he, unfortunately, has taken the brunt of the abuse on that. It's not really his fault. Uh, but uh, I want to see this movie breakthrough. It's... Uh, uh, he's uh, the star of the movie. Roxanne Dawson is the director. Um, I've, I've never even heard of Roseanne Dawson. Yeah, I know Rosario Dawson. But yeah, Roseanne Dawson. Oh, you know who she is? Who? Oh, man, she was on Voyager. What was her name? Um, she was the Klingon on Voyager. Oh, um, what's her name? She had a T, right? To... Oh, I know what you're man. talking about. Yeah, that's that's her. She directed this movie, so oh, there you cool. go. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's interesting. Um, you know, unless you now got to go to the to the uh, Voyager website and see what her name was. If not, it's gonna kill me the entire night. Um, but no, yeah, she directed this thing, so hey, that's that's pretty cool. Let's see where is she. Uh, Belena Torres. There we go. Yeah, that's right, Torres. That's why I was thinking T. She has a Mexican name. That's cool. Yeah, well, there's a lot of Mexican stuff going on that show. We got Chicote. Yeah, that's right. We got Belena Torres. Huh? For real. Yeah. I guess I should say Latino, not not really Mexican. But it's just wow. where I grew up. I grew up in California, so I mostly knew. Yeah. That was like my, my influence with Latinos. Well, if you're in California and you're Latino, you're automatically Mexican. That's kind of the way that works. Uh, well, there's some Puerto Ricans <laughs> running around, but like, yeah, that's, that's pretty much most of what I knew was Puerto yeah. Ricans and Mexicans. Now, number three this week, and it was uh, number, uh, let me see, it was last week number one, actually, you know, the second week of release, The Curse of La Llorona, and this is a Warner Brothers release, 7.5 million, um, I haven't seen it, but I really want to see this movie, it looks interesting, it's a $9 million budget, low budget movie, it's already made $86 million worldwide. 41 here domestically, 45 foreign market on a $9 million budget. It's already a huge profit for the studio, and it's a creepy-looking movie. So it's a horror movie from yeah. Warner Brothers. So check out The Curse of La Llorona. And uh, it's a number, uh, you know, number three this week again, the number one movie last week. So it's doing really, really well. And uh, that's I like seeing independent movies, especially horror movies, come out and just do well. Based on that. Based on Latino folklore too, which is cool. It's yeah, not yeah. it's not an American story. It's a it's actually and it's a it's a real. Oh, I mean it's not a real story, but it's a you know it's an actual like folk tale that's been right. told um, for the past couple hundred years, which I'm pretty familiar with. So I hope they did it pretty good because I actually really I think that it could make a really terrifying film if it was yeah. done right. So I'll check it out for sure. And with that kind of bank, I mean it, it could spawn off sequels. I mean you never know. So I mean uh, the Crystal Llorona, check that out. And coming in at number two this week, and uh, of course the number one movie of the box office for a few weeks, number four last week, and a movie that's that's banked uh, this week eight point something million. Again, remember now we're at number two, and the movie's hit ten million for the weekend. All right, the most right now is eight million, which is by Captain Marvel, Buena Vista. You know, right now Disney owns the top ten guys. Uh, they just put in eight million on its eighth week of release. Okay. Captain Marvel has brought in a total domestically of four hundred and thirteen million. Um 
foreign market six hundred and ninety six million after this week. That's a billion dollars, a billion one hundred and ten million. That's a lot of bread for an origin movie. So nitpick all you want, you know, nerds. Say all you want. It's a billion dollar movie. And the end of the day, that's all that matters. And it's a good one. It's satisfying to the core audience. It led into the number one movie of the week, which is new at the box office. And it, it, it blows everybody away when it comes to the numbers. Of course, I'm talking about the movie that this show is dedicated to, Avengers Endgame, by Bonavista, Disney, and Marvel Studios. And that brought in a whopping $350 million for the weekend. It, as the numbers come in, it might make a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. You know, we're going to get final tallies probably tomorrow. But right now, it looks like it's going to be somewhere around the $350 million range, which, again, I didn't think it was going to get to that much. Um, so shout-out to Alex 2.0 again for calling it. Uh, but this movie is going to obliterate all the records. Uh, this will beat The Force Awakens at the box office uh, globally, probably in record time, too. So um, there's that. Uh, now, of course, that's, you know, it, it might have an 80% drop next week, you know, that's something, unless something unexpected like that happens. This is on pace to be the number one movie of all times. Uh, and so far, I have not seen negative backlashes anywhere other than maybe a couple of, of very minority voices that, are, and I don't mean that in a racial way, guys. I mean, like, you know, the voices that are, like, not loud in the prior. And even, like, the nitpicking has been like, well, I have this one issue, but the movie was fucking great. Like, you know, it's been, like, a lot of, you know, little, a couple of things like that where people love the movie, but, like, every fan, you know, you have a thing that you wanted maybe to see that you didn't get to see. Maybe you had a death in the movie that you didn't want to see happen. Uh, you know, nobody is going to go into every movie and come out 100% satisfied with every single thing. There's always going to be something you don't agree with because, again, these are adaptations to stories that we've, you know, grown up reading in comics uh, for when it's a comic book movie. When it's a, a regular movie or a sequel to something else that it's an original property and not a comic book, it's the same kind of thing. You know, you're not going to ever satisfy everybody, but uh, this movie is very satisfying, it's, and, and especially the ending. So, there you go. $350 million domestically, over a billion worldwide on its first four days of release. Can't beat that. In yeah. fact, in its first four days of release, John, Johnny... Globally, is really brought in more than Captain Marvel. Jesus, really? Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, dude, like, um, in the little town that I'm at, there's a little two-screen theater, and they're showing Infinity War on both screens since Thursday. Every night, every showing, the little parking lot is just packed. The little, I, I've never seen this theater this packed this many nights in a row. They're, they're making a killing. I'm actually really mm-hmm. happy for this little theater. I think this movie alone will probably keep them in business for a whole other year. Yeah. So, like, yeah, yeah. That, that's pretty rad. <laughs> well, I mean, look at Captain Marvel. In eight weeks, you brought in a billion one, right? 1.1. In four days, Avengers brought in 1.2. Jesus. Yeah. Woo. Yeah, in just four days. Now give it a week. Give it two weeks. Give it three weeks. We're looking at probably the first $4 billion uh, movie at the box office globally when it's said and done. That's where I think this might be going three to $4 billion worldwide, which is going to obliterate every number. 
Um, unfortunately, what I, what I think the last uh, Star Wars movie, The Rise of the, of the Skywalker, is going to do very well in December. I don't think it's going to be not gonna any, touch yeah, this. It's yeah. not going to touch this. Not, I'm sorry. Not, 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 after, not, yeah. not after not after Solo and Last Jedi. I mean, I'm, I know that that, did, that didn't put a bad taste in everybody's mouth, and most people are still looking forward to seeing it, but there's still going to be a bit more of a hesitation than people, like, jumping to go see this because of just, I don't know how, I, I didn't see Infinity Wars just vice of as a lot of people did. I thought the ending was brilliant. And like, that's why it's still my favorite one. Like, I, I just, that, that, just that, that gut punch. It was so good. Mm. Um, so just going off of that, everybody had to wait a year to get to here. And it's good yep. to see that, like, it really paid off, you know, that building that tension, having the two movies in between it take place long before the events of, um, uh, Infinity War. Mm-hmm. I thought it was very well played. They 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 actually had a really good strategy going into this, and it worked. I mean, like they're just building a damn Fort Knox of their own off of this movie. So good for them. Not only that, by the way, this also proved one very important thing, which I think was missing from all conversation here today. This proved a major major point going forward, because uh, for the last few months now. What has been Disney's big excuse as to why Solo flopped? Oh, because it was too soon after the last movie, The Last Jedi, and there was Star Wars fatigue, right? You know, they they released the movie too soon after that movie, and, you know, people were coming off of that high and just didn't want to, you know, and it was just, they should have waited a year or two. Well, Endgame came out how many weeks after Captain Marvel, which is the number two movie at the box office? Like maybe eight or nine weeks afterwards, right? Something right. like that. And they're, they're both billion dollar movies. So I don't want to hear any excuses going forward with Star Wars and there's so much fatigue. No. Disney well, just make like, a better goddamn movie. That's it. There's like, what, 11 Star Wars movies? There is 22 Marvel movies. If anything, it should be fatigued and have people worn out. It right. should be the thing that's ran 22 films, has um, already three trilogies, uh, a, a quadrilogy with the Avengers movies, and a bunch of solo films and, and sequels for several other properties. And But no, everybody's excited for each one coming out. Yep. I actually am excited for the new Spider-Man movie. I think that actually looks really fun, and yep. I think Jake Gyllenhaal is killing it as um, Mysterio. That's one of the main reasons I'm going to go see it, because he's my homeboy, and it's going to be fun to watch him fuck up um, Spider-Man. <laughs> yep. So. And it's funny that it's him because, you know, he was, of, of course, attached to the uh, Remy Spider-Man. And he, he's been one of those actors who always, we, we've seen him and we're like, damn, he would be a great Peter Parker. And he would be, you know, some some good body who, would be, who, be, who belongs. When you just look at him, he belongs in the comic book movie. He has that face, that attitude, that acting style where you, you can fit him in a lot of different roles. And for a long time, he was attached to Peter Parker on and off. And it's good to finally get him in a Spider-Man movie, even though he's not playing Peter Parker. But, you know, yeah, he was, in the, at least the trailer, he came off great as Mysterio. So I'm done to see uh, the next Spider-Man movie. I want to see how that ties into Endgame. Uh, that is going to be the next, uh, you know, big project for Marvel. That's, that's going to be the fun thing is how they're going to, like, be like, okay, like, the, these motherfuckers were dead for five years, but now they got to go back to school again. That's going to be kind of fun, the way they explain how that works, too. That's what, one thing I'm going to be looking forward to in these movies coming forward, because, like, it's for some of these people, it's like tomorrow 
But for everybody else, like, dude, you guys have been gone for half a decade. You know what I mean? Yeah, but that, for, that's kind of a neat thing. Think about that. Most of the people that disappeared, when they come back, they're going to be like, we just, you know, to them it might have been like, it felt like seconds. Yeah. Maybe not even a second, you know, like they disappeared and reappeared. So that's going to be a very, you're absolutely 100% right on that. That's going to be an interesting angle going forward in the uh, storyline with Spider-Man and the entire MCU, which I'm super excited about. There's no fatigue, guys. Again, just make good movies and the fans are going to show up. That's the end of the, of the, you know, the, of the drama here. If you guys, uh, you don't want to debate it further, fine. But at the end of the day, good movies have people show up and that puts people in seats. Uh, when you have bad movies, you end up with Justice League. You know, a movie that has the greatest comic book superheroes and it flopped. I, I, I'm in the middle of Oklahoma which is supposed to be like this racist state and stuff, when Black Panther showed up at the end of um, Endgame, the, the crowd yelled. They were so excited. Like that That's what you should see when like Superman or Batman appear on the screen. But this happened for you know Black Panther in like a kind of a very conservative state, which I thought was really amazing when I saw the film. So, yeah, the fact that like that Black Panther can pull that, but somehow like they can't get that same type of thing for Superman and Batman, it's really sad. You know what I mean? It's but it's cool for Black Panther because I like the character. So, which leads into uh, something I've always said that you know stuff that the mass audiences uh, have not seen before usually sells before the stuff they've seen a billion times. Black Panther is one of those characters we've never seen on the big screen until now, and that's why one reason I think why it works so well and it was accepted by a general audience because it's something new, fresh. And it just felt like something that was proper for the modern time. Uh, until they, they learn how to deal with Batman and Superman and learn how to do that with them and bring in more into whatever is modern now, which I think Shazam is a, it's a good way of kind of narrating that into, you know, and even Aquaman is, you know, narrating into a more modern take on the character. I think that is, you know, moving forward for DC is going to work a lot better. Uh, guys, we'll, we'll have more conversation on this in the future here on the round table. And hopefully we'll get Zod Rider back on the table and he's not too mad at us for, uh, kind of getting him some grief over, you know, our thoughts on, yeah. on the movie. Uh, I, again, this is a round table. We're all going to agree and disagree from time to time and we're all friends here. We all, you know, we all love each other and, uh, it's uh, one of those things where, you know, we have disagreement and unfortunately he took it a little bit to heart and, uh, hopefully he's listening in and doesn't, uh, think that we, uh, we hate him or anything and hopefully he comes back next week and we have him live on the air and he can explain himself after hanging up on us. Word. Guys, until next week, we'll be back at the round table. Peace. We'll see you then. Good night, Stay everybody. Classy. There you go. I always talk over you when it comes to that. I don't know why. I just... <laughs>